0: When we become afraid that uh, there's a threat to our way of life or that we're going to lose something that we care about, that's when we tend to lose a lot of logic in decision making, and, and we tend to uh, do things that, are, that, that we regret later or that are abhorrent, like what's happening here. So, What's up? Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike.
1: My name is Kason,
0: And as you can see, we are recording separately today. So I'm going to keep my camera on that angle right there for most of this, and I'll just switch back and forth like it is. Um, thank you for joining us. This is probably going to be our last episode here, episode five of our Bioshock so- analysis. Um, real quick, before we jump into this, um, Kason and I kind of agreed uh after recording last week's episode that things did not really feel up to kind of the yeah. standard we hold for the yeah, show that's our standard so um i've actually gone back uh since last week and i've gone through the entire script again and most importantly yeah. i wanted to do arcadia farmer's market and beyond uh because those were the parts i felt like were a little bit lacking in terms of analysis i feel like we did good for the beginning of the game Um, So I've taken some notes from Arcadia and Farmer's Market and uh, Fort Frolic again and Hephaestus. Um, So funny enough, I'm actually, I'd like to start there because there's not as many notes in the closing chapters, I feel like. There's not as much there to really chew on as there are in other areas of the game. So we're gonna be stepping backwards a bit for the first part of today's episode and then we'll continue on through the end of the game. But there's a few things specifically that I either glossed over as I was scrolling through the script uh, while we were recording, or that I physically missed, um, like I just didn't find the diary naturally in my playthrough that Mm. I found now or have read now that gives some uh, pretty crucial context to a couple of cool things that I wanna mention. So um we're going to do that first, but I want to pass it over to you, Cason, real quick, just to, to see if there's anything you wanted to say in regards to that, Uh things that yeah. you've read in the comments or anything you'd want to address.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say um, I have gotten more things wrong <laughs> on this podcast than any <laughs> other podcast, and not like predictions, just like, you know, general stuff, just talking about things here and there. Um, So, yeah, I, I mean, I... um this has been this has been very challenging for me. Um, I also didn't know. I found out very recently that Bioshock Two features a very different premise with a villain that is possibly almost the exact opposite of. Bioshock 1 and that I didn't need to be trying to steel man Ayn Rand and play devil's advocate this whole time it will naturally happen when we play the sequels to the game so right. um, I wish I knew that ahead of time um, <laughs> so knowing that fact you know and I because I mentioned last episode I'm not happy with any of my attempts to, to defend Ayn Rand um, and I kind of make both sides angry when that happens so apologies won't be doing it anymore um, and yeah I'm excited let's go back let's go back to uh, Arcadia Okay, great.
0: All right, so um, I just have a couple of notes for Arcadia. I think we pretty sufficiently covered that section, but there was there was one um, really early diary you can find called Seeing Ghosts. This was brought up by Chocolate Rob, but then, of course, as I was reading through the diary entries again... Oh, um, yeah. I found this one and it's like, oh, I think I actually physically missed this one while I was playing the game because it's really early on that you find it. It's from uh, Bill McDonough. He says, Ah. seems like some poor blighters have started seeing ghosts. Ghosts. Ryan tells me it's a side effect of this plasmid business. One poor sod's memory is getting passed on to another through genetic sampling. Leaks, lunatics, rebellion, and now bleeding ghosts. Ain't Life in Rapture Grand. So this is kind of yeah. explaining the visions that Jack sees um, as you're walking around through certain areas. These are not necessarily his own memories. Yeah, it's they're actually, not
1: flashbacks. I, I thought they were for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, like there's there's the image of the photograph of his parents that will pop up like yeah. really quickly now and then. And <clears throat> that one... Is the yeah, one that's that in his wallet, right? That was the imprinted memory that um, yeah. that was given to him during his like conditioning by uh, by Fontaine. But the ghostly images we're seeing are not necessarily Jack's memories. Those are are bleeding over from other residents of Rapture. So it's more used as a device to show you what might have happened in this area before you got here, right? Kind of some of the events leading up to the the war and the destruction that that we're seeing now.
1: Well, that's kind of cool. So in that sense, it is a flashback. It's just not a flashback from Jack's memories.
0: Correct, yes. It's
1: almost like an uh, objective flashback from just the world, you know, kind of going backwards and time is getting confused. I think that's cooler, actually. I think that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so that's, uh, that is sort of where you get that explanation for what those little ghostly visions he's seeing are. Uh, it comes from the Arcadia section. So thank you, Rob, for pointing that out. Um, I think that is an important thing to bring up, uh, to kind of clear up like the whole thing with Jack and imprinted memories and what is yes. and is not real and whatnot. Um, One
1: more thing um, that kay. Rob also has corrected us on uh, is that in the beginning you mentioned this is, I uh, think, podcast episode 5. Chocolate Rob is saying it is actually episode six.
0: Wait, did we just put up five? We already put up five. I got confused. Okay, so this will be six. You're right. (laughs) This will be six. Rob's on top of it. Rob, man, he's
1: on top of it. By the way, everyone (laughs) watching the podcast, this has been very good. Um, Chocolate Rob's comments are are really good, and they're long, they're in-depth. You guys, everybody who watches these episodes, uh, specifically for this um, game, I think, but probably in general, for all the games we played, you should go and read chocolate Rob's comments. He's, he's got some really good analysis going on down there.
0: Okay. So the other, um, the other diary entry that I took down from this section that I don't think we touched on, um, is from Diane McClintock. And I, I, I wanted to go over this because Diane gets a few more audio, uh, diaries here in the last couple areas. Um, Mm. and she's a character we've been following from the very beginning. I think hers was the very first audio diary you get in the game, actually. The one where she talks about being oh, yeah. alone on New Year's Eve and then there was the attack yeah. and she gets shot. Um, mm. So she's kind of a character we've followed through every area, and that's not been true of the other characters. A lot of characters, their audio logs are um, specifically within only certain places. Um, so uh, what's what's really great about kind of where her story goes is it, it kind of goes along with a lot of what we've already been saying on the podcast about abandoning one extremist ideology for another. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, the other end. Right, so I want to kind of read this one um, because it leads up to some of what uh, we're going to read about uh, in today's episode. So this one is called Heroes and Criminals. And she says, I couldn't believe how much things had changed since I left Dr. Steinman's office. So if you'll remember, she got shot and she went to Dr. Yeah. Steinman, the crazy surgeon guy from the medical pavilion, the first level, right, um, yeah. to get some surgery done, and he ended up messing her up even worse because <laughs> he had already decided that he wanted to do Picasso work yep. on people at that point, right? <laughs> so she, he's actually, um, you know, messed up her face. So ever since she left Steinman's office, it's like I don't even recognize Rapture no more. I hear they've been rounding up people in Polo Square. I asked Ryan how he could do such things to Innocence. So she's starting to see the, the betra- Ryan's betrayal of his own ideals and the fact that he's doing some pretty horrific things to keep his power. She's starting to see that, right? He said, Innocence, if they haven't chosen to defend Rapture, they've chosen to side with Atlas and his bandits. So there are no innocents. There are heroes and there are criminals. So at this point, Ryan is sort of like almost gone to well if we're looking at the the political quadrants right we have the x-axis with the authoritarian and libertarian and then of course the the or, i'm sorry the y-axis is that and then the x-axis is yeah uh, liberal and uh, conservative so i'm talking yeah. polar opposite on the y-axis so he's gone from hmm. libertarian all to the way a, up to authoritarian. authoritarian yeah and so he's become more of like a nationalist fascist mindset um uh rather than the sort of like extreme far bottom right yeah. libertarian mindset
1: and, and um, that almost naturally happens when you build something we talked before about how andrew ryan went from trying to subvert the order of the governments around him to trying to preserve his order of his government system type system that he set up um you know he went from subverting order to um you know, preserving it. And that that's almost a natural conservative tendency. Um, so once he's built something that he likes, he doesn't want it to change. And so you, he naturally kind of um, moves into towards that, I think, conservative
0: kind of right. mindset. And that's all born from this fear of losing this thing that he had built. And that was so strong. Yes. And his yeah, ideal, yeah, yeah. his ideologue mind is so Rooted, It is so extreme in, in not wanting to open up or compromise or change, uh, that he, he, I guess probably unbeknownst to himself, like became exactly the thing he was running away from. So Mm -hmm. we've talked about that in the past and now she's seeing that, right? So she's becoming, um, you know, uh, disenchanted with him disenchanted with him at this point as she had been very in love with him right so those were the two notes I took from Arcadia that I wanted to touch on Uh, let's move over to the farmer's market real quick Um, couple of uh, really good ones here uh, as far as audio diaries go so one is called um, Pulling Together this is from Andrew Ryan it says the children with their very long needles their tuneless songs their ghastly errands They're ghoulish Frankenstein fathers. But we've all placed our hand on the great chain of endeavor. My hand is on it. Fontaine's is on it. We all pull it and are pulled by it. Yes, these children are an abomination, but it is not my hand alone on the chain that created them. No, their little fingers were right there next to mine. I like that because, again, each one of these audio logs, but particularly for Andrew Ryan, it, it really does a good job of showing this slow transition from his libertarian mindset to authoritarian mindset and he's justifying it along the way so he's he's talking about how horrible it is right just the the the, the sight of these little sisters and the big daddies and he's like abhorred by what he's seeing but it's like it's not just me <laughs> this is this is the great chain we're talking about right and yeah. and fontaine has been involved in tennebom and all these other people it's not just me and, and the great chain is the master of all, and it's the one really, we're being pulled by that. It, again, yes. sort of like the, the excuse to his God, more or less, right? The, the, well, he's playing yes. the long game here.
1: In fact, this was mentioned in one of our comments. I think this is a good time to bring it up. Uh, there is something that in medieval times uh, was referenced as being called, the, it's called the great chain of being. Um, and, and I've got the Wikipedia pulled up here. The great chain of being is a hierarchical structure of all matter and life thought by medieval Christianity to have been decreed by God. The chain begins with God at the top and descends through the angels, humans, animals, and plants down to the minerals. The great chain of being is a concept derived from Plato, Aristotle, Plotinus, and Proclus. Um, It was further developed in the Middle Ages. Um, It reached its full expression in early modern Neoplatonism. So if you know anything about Neoplatonism, um, that's kind of, you know, the idea here, just the natural hierarchy. Um, but the idea of great chain being just like this natural order of things, going from the the um, the dirt of the material world and the water, you know, going all the way up to God Himself,
0: um, is you know it's an old idea. Interesting. So that's probably where that concept of great chain might have been pulled from or inspired by.
1: I think so. It must be because I and I love it too. Because on its face, when you play Bioshock, you wouldn't hear much religious talk coming from Andrew Ryan. But if you're aware of what he's saying, and like we picked apart one of his things about, you know, uh, the faith, what is our faith if it's not tested, you know, but he's, he thinks he's being all secular, but it's like, no, he's not. Um, This is another thing where once you know what he's talking about, once you get the reference, you realize just how kind of how religious he actually is. Right. Yeah. Also another thing here, you brought up Frank Fontaine and this is great. Somebody else commented and I don't know why I missed something as easy as this, but Fontaine means fountain. Right, um, fountainhead, is right. probably a reference to the fountainhead. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that one just, you know, we just totally missed that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, uh, my next note here is from an audio diary called Adam Explained. I um, I really wanted to read this one because I think in like episode two, when we're first introduced to the term Adam, I had left it open to explain what Adam is later in the podcast, and then we never actually got around to doing that. So this one is from Brigid Um, Adam acts like a benign cancer, destroying native cells and replacing them with unstable stem versions. While this very instability is what gives it its amazing properties, it is also what causes the cosmetic and mental damage. You need more and more, Adam, just to keep back the tide. From a medical standpoint this is catastrophic from a business standpoint well fontaine sees the possibilities mm-hmm. so you know it explains a little bit there i'm, I'm sure that there's uh, probably more in depth explanations that can be found but this is just does a good job of quickly summarizing how adam is like essentially um, mutating people right it's what's changing their appearance and making them look so messed up and why they all choose yeah. to wear these these masks for the most part the splicers right um yeah but it's also what gives them their power. So it's like kind of a two-way street. And the more you use it, the more damage is done, the more you have to use to try to like <laughs> fix the problem. And it's, it's just a drug. Like a,
1: yeah. It's a drug.
0: So, uh, yeah, I love how at the end of that, you know, from a business standpoint, you know, like the way they look at that. So you can sell a lot of Atom uh, because, because of the fact that it works like this. So I uh, really liked that one um and so atlas oh, and that's so
1: funny that 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 almost sounds like a critique of the pharmaceutical industry honestly. sure
0: yeah I, or I, I to agree the food with food or yeah companies
1: yeah. um companies like Monsanto that make pharmaceuticals and some of the um not so healthy food that we yep. all eat um it's like they kind of play on each other and they end up selling more of both product you know right it's crazy
0: yep we, we had a conversation um off camera a little while ago about how capitalism is probably not the best system for health and uh food for certain (laughs) industries (laughs) it's it's great
1: for lifting people out of poverty you know it's great for raising the baseline it's uh not so great for everything we'll just put it that way
0: yeah there are some areas where it it might not be the best idea to you know incentivize higher and higher profits okay so um atlas says i think uh soon after this why do they wear those masks maybe there's a part of them that remembers how they used to be and how they used to look and they're ashamed so I, I i liked that as like kind of a back-to-back thing there um this next one i have again from farmer's market is called hatred this is from bridget uh chennebaum one of the children came and sat in my lap i push her off i shout get away from me i can see the atom oozing out of the corner of her mouth thick and green <sighs> That's her right, we didn't, I
1: referenced this, but I didn't read it. Oh, I forgot right. I did.
0: Right, right. And I remember that we talked about it, but I love yeah. the actual, yeah. like the written words here are just so good. I shout, get away from me. I can see the atom oozing out of the corner of her mouth, thick and green, her filthy hair hanging in her face, dirty clothes and that dead glow in her eye. I feel hatred like I never felt before in my chest. Bitter, burning fury. I can barely breathe and suddenly... I know it. it's not this child I hate. It's just really powerful. <laughs>
1: that was really powerful and that was Tenbaum, yeah. right Yes, it was and this is around the time where she talks about her realizing that
0: the motherly she, instinct
1: she has emotions and and instincts that that are not the objective you know that don't uh, live up to her, her philosophy of life of yeah. how she can be secular or not secular. what's the word she can be Detached you know from everything she's doing and that there is no objective morality and all that and she she all of a sudden is just like I can't help it You know, I feel like I've done something horribly wrong I have another quote from her that we'll read toward the ends of the towards the end of the game Uh, But she's a great example um, of a character that kind of counters um, The Andrew Ryan's philosophy within the game, but in in a unique way, you know It's like she wants to believe with Andrew Ryan. She wants it really bad but there's something that just keeps her from going there. And she's trying so hard, more than anyone, I think, because she went really far with her experiments. She did some jacked-up stuff. And and in the end, she's just like she cannot – it's just unconscionable what she did, and she knows it. And, um, you know, it, it's a really good – I feel like it's a really good uh, counter to Andrew Ryan because it, yeah. it's not just an obvious one, you know. It's more of like a visceral one.
0: It's really yeah. good. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, this next one is from Andrew Ryan. It's called Desperate Times. He says, Dr. Chong, frankly, I'm shocked by your proposal. If we were to modify the structure of our commercial plasmid line as you propose to have them make the user vulnerable to mental suggestion through pheromones, would we not be able to effectively control the actions of the citizens of Rapture? Free will is the cornerstone of this city. The thought of sacrificing it is abhorrent. however, we are indeed in a time of war. If Atlas and his bandits have yeah. their way, will they not turn us into slaves? And what will become a free will then? Desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, this kind of goes back to a yeah. lot of the things we talked about in previous podcasts about fear. Mm. Um, if yeah, if yeah. people haven't seen our podcast on Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind,
1: Nausicaa, uh, this yeah. is a,
0: a huge uh, theme for that movie is that fear... <laughs> Is what really drives people to do the abhorrent things that they do, and it's it's when we become afraid that uh, there's a threat to our way of life, or that we're going to lose something that we care about. That's when we tend to lose a lot of logic in decision making, and and we tend to uh, do things that are that that we regret later, or that are abhorrent, like what's happening here. So. Andrew Ryan claims to be so dedicated to his ideals, yet as soon as he becomes afraid that his city might be taken by someone else, he is willing to betray them in an instant because he's so afraid be. Fontaine will do something yeah. way worse than I will with this power. You know so what? in order to stop him from doing it, I'll use it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this is how everyone justifies the horrible yeah. things they do that go against their ideals and they become hypocrites. All this time.
1: All the yeah. time. This is so good. And this this stems from the economic idea of scarcity, right? Um, yes. If you really get into it. Because this is why I remember back in the day, I don't know if this is as big a deal anymore, but because of Netflix and all this stuff, but people used to pirate movies and music a lot. Um, and the excuse was, well, if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it anyways, right? And or like uh, overfishing the seas, right? Like there's a lot of uh, countries in uh, specifically, I think, East Asia. Uh, that are really overfishing the oceans. And their idea is the idea of scarcity, which is, well, if we don't do it, then they will. So we may as well do it and get as much as we can uh, until there's no more fish, right? Um, but the idea of scarcity is what kind of leads people to do that. And I love what Andrew Ryan's doing because it's the concept of the emergency wartime powers that basically every country has written into their constitution yep. and what can be described, like what can how, how you define the word war or emergency it really big it's subjective right and so at some point it's like you just kind of start using those wartime powers at times when you probably shouldn't do it um and that's always the excuse given to uh basically to break things like the constitution in america or you know um your own moral code right is like oh but this time it's an emergency and it's like yeah it's always an emergency huh it's funny how often that happens
0: yeah, isn't that isn't that amazing? How uh, these ideals are, are what yeah. we hold ourselves to, and, and this is the right way to live. Unless where there's a threat, and then these ideals don't work. It's just, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 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 amazing to me how easily justifiable that is. But it, it's all driven from fear. And when people are afraid for their safety yes. and their security, oh, yeah. they're willing or to when give that afraid away
1: for, uh, to lose their power. Yes. That's I think often what it actually is that's the well part.
0: yeah well, for so for the leaders it's the fear of losing yeah. power, but for the yep. people it's it's a fear of their of losing their security right so they'll right. give yeah, away yeah. the yep. rights they'll they'll allow them to be taken away because oh, it's an emergency and oh and, yeah of
1: course. but
0: like so it's like the ideals don't work then. the ideals right. are not right. actually what we should live by if you're willing yeah. to sacrifice them so readily.
1: Exactly, because you think of what an ideal is. I think I had brought up in a previous podcast that the ideal, like the highest ideal should be something akin to like to a God or something, to something that you're worshiping, something you're giving, you're sacrificing to this ideal because it's so important, right? Um, But as soon as you betray the ideal, what you're actually saying is, no, no, there's actually something higher than that ideal. Yes. And that, and then it's like, well, wait a second, but what is it? And people can't really define it. And what it really is, is oh, I'm afraid to lose my way of life. I'm afraid my son's going to get drafted. I'm afraid, you know, whatever it is. Um, but really it, it turns into something like, Oh, like, Oh, I, maybe to Ayn, Ayn Rand's point, like a kind of like a selfish fear of like losing yes. yourself. And it's like, yeah, I'll do away with the idea. I'll worship whatever you want. I just don't want to die. <laughs> right. Yes. And that's where it's like, okay, there, You know, a lot of people would put something above that ideal, um, which means it's not so much an ideal um, as it is a convenience, I think. Yeah,
0: exactly right. And so, you know, I can't help but laugh as I read that because he just goes over how appalled he is by this entire idea. However, it is. It's just like, dude, you don't believe in this at all.
1: Everything he just said.
0: Yeah. You don't believe in this at all. You believe in your own power. That's what you're really uh, after here. And I I really loved the way that that was written. So glad we could go back and revisit that from Farmer's Market. Me too.
1: Chocolate Rob's brought up um, just the voice acting here. Uh, By the way, we're interacting with people in our chat via Patreon. um, Yeah. For anyone else who feels like they want to get involved. (laughs) Um, The voice acting is really, really good in these audio diaries. Like Mm -hmm. they're almost without fail. They're just all just top, top quality. Really, really, really good. Yeah,
0: I agree with that. Um, okay, this next one is Functional Children from Bridget Tennebaum. The children must remain functional to be effective producers of Adam. Again, this, this cold, detached uh, side of her that she's trying to maintain, To right? And calling them functional children. Um, I had hoped we could place them into vegetative state so they would be more pliable. I find being around them very uncomfortable even with those mm-hmm. things implanted in their bellies, which is the sea slug, so that they or can slugs. produce yeah. Adam, right? They're still yep. children. They play, they sing. Sometimes they look at me and they don't stop. Sometimes they smile. It's just It just leaves off on that. It's just like it's eating at her, dude. I, I love the way that that's written. <laughs> oh, um, and to
1: that point, uh, Mix here in the chat, he he kind of elaborates on a point I was making a little bit. Um, but he, Mix says, I think Tennebaum um is a great counter to andrew ryan and how she slowly evolves organically out of his philosophy not even trying yes. to right but she's just so disgusted with herself uh the de-radicalization of the ideologue so to speak and she is therefore uniquely placed to help the other characters suffering from trauma imposed by rapture mm. uh reminds me of solzhenitsyn and what taking responsibility in such a dystopia could and would actually look like it's something like dr Tennebon where she recognizes her part in the whole thing and she does her best to uh, atone, as it were, for the things that she's done. Right.
0: Um, Last note I have here from the farmer's market is an audio diary called First Encounter from Adria Ryan. On my walk today, I had my first encounter with a pair of them. He, a lumbering palooka in a foul-smelling diving suit, and she, an unwashed moppet in a filthy pink smock. Her pallor was off, green and morbid, and there was a rather unpleasant aspect to her demeanor, as if she were in an altogether different place than the rest of us. I understand the need for such creatures. I just wish <laughs> they could make them more presentable. <laughs> I that, think I
1: read that, yeah.
0: <laughs> dude. <laughs> Again, like, well, I like, don't
1: care about the evil stuff you're doing. I just hate that they're ugly.
0: I know, right? It, and, and we talked about how ugliness is a yes, sin in right. Rapture earlier, right? No so,
1: excuse not to be beautiful.
0: Yep. Right. So the sin is not that they've probably irrevocably damaged these little children, uh, either, either emotionally or mentally. And of course, physically, but that they're ugly. They're not beautiful. Like everyone in rapture is, they have a duty to be at this point. Right. I just found that to be an unbelievable (laughs) mentality to have after seeing the horror they've inflicted on them. His response to that is "ew," instead of, what have I done
1: (laughs) and see that's where Tenenbaum and he are are different
0: yes yes okay so uh, that's all I took for um, for the farmers market let's move on to Fort Frolic here Um, so we didn't talk too much about Anna Culpepper who was sort of the rival Hmm. uh, to Sander Cohen Um, I read a little bit more about her history and so She came down or she was kind of convinced to come down by Ryan and she actually served kind of on a like a central council in Rapture um, for a little while. And Ryan ended up regretting that pretty quickly uh, because she voiced a lot of opposition to to a lot of his ideals and she was causing problems and. Uh, eventually she ended up, you know, not being on that council for very much longer. Uh, she, she advocated for things like allowing people in the city to go on short excursions to the surface again. And that was something that Ryan was very against. Like we can never allow anybody to leave because we can never allow anybody to, to discover that where Rapture is from the outside world. Right. Mm, But she was like, no, we can't like imprison people in here. We've got to let them leave if they want to for short excursions, you know, make some exceptions, have some regulation around that. Anyway, ideas like that she opposed. And there were uh, among other things, of course, but she ended up leaving that council and she was a, a musician, a lyricist. She ended up writing a lot of songs that were critical of Ryan and of Rapture and of the ideology. And this really, really pissed him off. Um, And, and she was also very critical of Sandra Cohen, who she basically uh, wrote off as just a mouthpiece. Like his art is all just propaganda mouthpiece for Ryan. Um, He he wrote basically the national anthem for, uh, for Rapture. And it's, it's pretty like on the nose. Nationalist propaganda <laughs> right yeah um, it's it's not it's not well written it's like it, it, I think there's a character in here talks about how an, another one of the artists that um, was friends or, and possibly lovers with Cohen for a while about how like awful it was like just you know anyway so that's who she was and and why Sandra Cohen and Andrew Ryan in particular wanted her dead um so I wanted to give a little bit of that background but um I'll start off here with a line from Atlas. Ryan's handed the keys to Fort Frolic over to a guy named Sander Cohen. Cohen's an artist, Some uh, says some. He's a section eight, says I. So the reason why I wanted to bring this up, section eight is in like section eight housing. He's like, uh, he's- like, Oh, of course. You know what I mean? Okay. Like he's, he's, he's riffraff, he's poor. He's not like actually all yeah. he's built up to be.
1: He's not cultured.
0: No. Um, And and a lot of people have this opinion of Sander throughout the section. So it turns out that he may not be nearly as good or as talented as an artist as he sort of uh, builds himself up to be. And so he... Sets out in this chapter, like we talked about, where he sends you to kill people to to put down his doubters, as he calls them. Uh, he hates the doubters, and he's gone totally crazy. Um, he's unable to take criticism almost at all. In fact, there was at one point in this, where I think it's when you complete the second uh, photograph in his little, uh, like a uh, what is what is the word I'm looking for? His they have a word for it, quidditch that he's sort of making there. Oh.
1: Odd titch, yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah.
0: Clever. Yeah, um, when you put the second one in, he asks you if you like it, and then or asks Jack if you like, because you don't do do you? And he's like, oh, I hate you, doubters, and blah blah blah. And then he sends a bunch of splicers after you to kill you, right? And so, like, he's <laughs> he's he's just he's just gonna put anybody who has any criticism of him down, but then after you end up surviving that attack, he's like, you must forgive. Uh, an artist his you know, like temperament or whatever. I'm just anxious about finishing this work and let's continue or whatever. So that's kind of the point he's at. And, and Andrew Orion was kind of in the same place. And that's kind of the parallel between the characters. They've gotten this point where they cannot handle anybody saying anything, particularly if it's influential, like Atlas slash Fontaine has been, and has actually rallied people of the city to their side in dissent of these ideals or of, in Sander Cohen's case, his, his you know, I guess, artistic integrity or, or his ability, you know, uh, anyone who who dissents to those things, they're, they're at the point where they're ready to just murder them, assassinate them. Um, so there's been several examples of that and I wanted to read Atlas's because that's, you know, how Atlas felt about him. Uh, he's, he's an artist, says some, he's section eight, says I. Um, Okay, so the next audio uh, diary I took down here was Come to the Record Store. This is from Silas Cobb. He's one of the disciples who you kill in this section. Yeah. Uh, You want to lock us in, old man? Oh, that's fine with Cobbsy. I used to love you. I used to think you were a musical genius. You know why? Because you paid my rent, you ancient hack. So once again, (laughs) people who, they they all kind of agree he's not really that great of an artist, right? I'll show you what I think if you're plinkety-plink-plink. Um, wild bunny. I think we read that one. That's when we was supposed to take the ears off. Right. But we, yeah, we wanted somebody, to bring up a comment about that. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Somebody had mentioned, well, there were a few things, one of them being, um, just to take the ears off, meaning literally, I mean, no, it's a bunny mask, but still literally the ears that he can't stand the criticism. He can't stand listening to this kind of stuff. Right. There was another commenter who brought up something that's probably not intended by the artist, but I thought was very interesting. Um, is the connection, uh, between this guy going crazy as an artist and no one understands him. And then Vincent Van Gogh who cut off his own ear and then mailed it to a girl I think that he liked And, uh, um, how there's something like that, that he, maybe he equates himself to like that kind of level, right? Like take off the ears kind of thing. Um, I don't know that that one was intentional, but it's very interesting none, nonetheless. It definitely
0: works. I mean, like yes. it, yeah, it, yeah. W- in terms of how Van Gogh fell apart mentally, like by the end yeah. of his life, right? And that's yeah, what's going on with Jeff him. Gordon. And they've referenced like Picasso earlier with Dr. Stein. Yes. And, and so like so it would, it would, it would be naturally it would. fit.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he's kind of going through that that part of his life, the Vincent Van Gogh part of artistry.
0: The the Vincent Van Gogh arc. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So we wanted to just uh, comment on that real quick. Yeah. This next one is called the artists feud. And this is from Sullivan. Who's the, um, the head of security for Andrew Ryan. I worked the meatball, uh, beat in little Italy. And even I'm shocked at the cold blood that oozes out of these artistic types. This broad Culpepper, Anna Culpepper, right? Mm -hmm. And that fruit job, Cohen, are in some kind of feud. And Cohen's looking for my security detail to pick sides. The next thing I know, I'm called into Ryan's office to talk about the whole mess. Nut job artists. So,
1: you know what he's referring to there, right? Um, One of the big questions about something like an Ayn Rand society is who deals with law enforcement who who deals with the military and things like that and the idea is well oh a a private company would do it um and then uh ken levine seems to be poking at that a little bit and saying yeah well what happens when there's a squabble between two people and they're both contacting the same private security to handle the problem for each side you know Mm. and of course the issue escalates all the way up to andrew ryan um at that point but i feel like that's uh, one of the points that ken levine was trying to like Put an exclamation point there, which is like, hey, some uh, conflict of interest
0: here, possibly. Well, not only that, but then the fact that it goes to Andrew Ryan and he's the one who ultimately makes the decision. I know. He's going to. He's the
1: governor or he's the he's part of the
0: state. I mean, he's got um, the authority. Right. And he's absurdly uh, furious at her criticism of him ah. so he's gonna pick coincide. So he's gonna
1: okay then that serves to ken levine's point then where it's just yeah. like okay at some point the private security just picks a side and then you're the bad guy
0: yeah and it's <laughs> like of if course, you were if that's you not were to say
1: the government does that too i understand sure that. <laughs> yeah i'm just saying ken levine is critiquing one side that doesn't mean there isn't a valid critique on the other side as well
0: sure thing um but yeah it's like oh well you know, it, it doesn't turn out to be any better, essentially, than the the, the problems of the society they left. Exactly. Ultimately, it's like
1: you're not fixing anything. You're just, like, creating no. new problems.
0: Uh, ultimately, she did not have freedom of speech. She was not yes. allowed to speak That's badly right. about Andrew Ryan because That's he's right. the one who governs <laughs> the security. That's right. And when they have to pick a side, they're going to pick the side that speaks well about him, that puts him in yeah. a good light, that writes the nationalist lyrics for the... Uh, For the anthem for him, (laughs) not the person criticizing his ideals, right? So it's no better than any of the societies they left at all. Yeah, that's good. So anyway, good stuff. Um, The next one I took down was Stood Up Again. This is Diane McClintock, so we're returning to her. Stood Up Again, second time this week, ever since my face was, and she drifts off. Mm -hmm. So Andrew Ryan's not seeing her anymore because she's ugly now, and ugliness is a sin
1: that's right it's <laughs> so good I, <laughs> yeah. I love this game I really do Ken Levine <laughs> he's just he is he he did a great job and not just him I always bring him up I probably should take this time to also recognize there were many other people who made this game not just sure. him uh, I doubt that everything you know that he signed off on every single decision made in this game uh, but probably with issues relating to the script I'll bet you that he at least supervised most of it sure um, that's just really good I love it Yeah.
0: So then she says, uh, Steinman worked on me but it was never the same since the blast. Being alone so much gives a girl time to think. Would you hate me so much? Uh, Who could hate me so much they'd ruin me like this? What did I Mm. do to them? I keep thinking of them as bandits and terrorists. Ryan's got locked up in Apollo Square and I get so mad. Sometimes I can hardly breathe. If I could only confront them, tell them what they did to me, how they're ruining everything for me for Rapture, Maybe I'd, well, maybe I'd feel better. So she's starting to get this idea that she's going to go mm-hmm. talk to some of these dissenters, some of these rebellious types, and try mm-hmm. to explain to them how they're ruining everything. And what this is going to lead to, of course, as we've beaten the game, is she's going to end up joining them instead. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but this is where she gets the idea to do that. Hmm. So I wanted to throw that in there. Um, this next one is called Musical Insult from Sandra Cohen. Regarding your review of Anna Culpepper's latest musical insult of all the worthy artists in Rapture, why you continue to devote column inches to this musical gremlin is beyond my imagination. Where she is not derivative, she's boring. Where she's not boring, she's obvious. Where she's not obvious, she's dangerous. So I felt like that last part, dangerous. That's a
1: progression almost.
0: Yes. uh, That last part, dangerous, plays into the fear. So we've been talking about fear driving people to abandon their, uh, their ideals um, and all that. We had that conversation earlier, but like she's dangerous to my, uh, to my what's the word I'm looking for reputation as an artist to my ability to uh, make a living at doing this in the city. She's, she's ruining me as an artist. She's dangerous to that. So right. what action will I take to not lose what I'm afraid of losing, right? That the fear is beginning to build in him, the fear is really beginning to build in Ryan, and now they're gonna be working to get, well, Cohen is gonna be used by Ryan, but Ryan will get what he wants out of the deal, which is Culpepper dead. Um, But basically acting on their fears. So, let's see here. Next one I took down was Requiem for Andrew Ryan. This is also Sandra Cohen. I could have been the toast of Broadway, the talk of Hollywood, but instead I followed you to this soggy bucket. When you needed my starlight, I illuminated you, but now I rot, waiting for an audience that doesn't ever come. I'm writing something for you, Andrew Ryan. It's a requiem. So now he's turning on him because, of course, Ryan just used him all along. So we're seeing kind of, I think we missed some of these. selfish
1: motivations, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, we missed some of this sort of key degradation as we were discussing it before. So I wanted to throw these back in again. Um, The doubters, the doubters. This one's good. Sandra Cohen again. Rapture is going to hell. And why? Because of them, always behind the scenes at the Lyceum, at the galleries in Soho, even down here in this so called utopia. The doubters. But Ryan understands. Um, Yes, there's blood in the streets. Yes, people sometimes disappear. And those awful little girls. Well, I suppose the doubters think you can paint a picture without soiling your smock. That last line is so good. I suppose the doubters mm-hmm. think you can paint your pic or paint a picture without soiling your smock. There's something very similar to what Ryan said earlier, right? Well, I can't remember what
1: he said. The, the one that I've always thought of is you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. I feel like right. it's a similar statement, right?
0: Right. Uh, again, a justification. For all yep. the awful things you're going to do and the betrayal the ends, of ideals, and just justify, justify the, means. the means. It's consequentialism, yep. right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we, we, we talked about that a lot in our um, Final Fantasy Tactics uh, analysis. Um, again, extremist ideology leads you into that frame of mind. Not to say that that frame of mind is never correct. I'm, I'm not trying to say... Consequentialism is always wrong or you know, there's never a case where the ends justify the means what I'm saying is that Extremist ideology gets you there quicker than maybe you should (laughs) where you're willing to justify any ends to or any means to get to an ends and uh, And you end up doing some things that that are you know Like what these people are doing it almost happens long before they're necessary
1: Yeah, when you're just too sure of yourself Yes. Just like when when this type of stuff happens. Chocolate Rob put a note up here. He says, um, the musical musical insult that was referred to is seen on a poster outside of Rapture Records. She wrote a song called Ryan's Songbird with a picture of Cohen on it.
0: Yeah, it was like a caricature of him. So like making fun of him, right? There you go. And um, this is something that I didn't get to see because I killed Sandra Cohen. But if you leave Sandra Cohen alive um, in, I think it's Apollo Square or maybe Olympus Heights, one of the areas there towards the end of the game, you can go into Sandra Cohen's apartment and um, you'll see these posters kind of piled up in his room that he tore down, right? And he, he I think... Mm-hmm. I think it's mentioned that he threw darts at them or something like that. Um, Oh, Atlas was. Well, that was Atlas. Okay, different different thing. Anyways, point being that I didn't see this part of the game because I killed Cohen. So if you don't kill him, (laughs) you'll you'll see these posters that he tore down up in his apartment. And uh, Anyway, so that was a part of the game I missed out on because I wanted to kill him so badly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Did the ends justify the means? Probably not. (laughs) Probably didn't, but I was just pissed. I didn't get to team up with the dudes and get them out of the situation. Um, I'm going to skip over this one. Uh, This is Iceman cometh. It's just the other guy Finnegan. He's one of the other disciples, and he, you know, he's like basically he he puts together this little uh, splicer cocktail. He's ready to like fight. It's more or less that's the idea. It's not too important, Um, but this one is Fontaine's army. This comes from Bill McDonough. Uh, McDonough McDonough i never know how to pronounce that Fontaine knew our blokes were coming we were done over them splicers come screaming out the woodwork burping fire spitting ice demons out of the Bible they were never seen nothing like it it wasn't a business he was building it was an army so Mm -hmm. I wanted to throw this in there not necessarily to play devil's advocate to what we've been talking about so far with fear Uh, leading people to do reprehensible things, but to give some validity to the fact that it's part of human nature to do this. Um, As as much as it's easy from our end to kind of like condemn uh, Andrew Ryan for being a hypocrite and betraying his ideals so fast, it it might be a little bit easier than we're giving it credit for when you see splicers burping fire (laughs) coming (laughs) at your security detail and going, holy crap, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> we had no right. idea what Fontaine was really up to.
1: Yep. Or um like the Houdini splicers like disappearing and stuff, and it's yeah. like this this is straight out of like mythology. Like this is crazy.
0: Yeah. And, and this kind of goes back to what we had talked about in an earlier episode about sort of the metaphor for maybe something like the internet or, or nuclear weapons uh, yeah. or you know, yeah, yeah. some unforeseen element being being so throwing the balance of power off to such a degree that you don't know how to handle it with the current set of ideals you have. And so then what do you turn to when your current ideals don't work anymore? And the, I think, Mm -hmm. natural inclination is that authoritarian emergency powers sort of place right where like that's the real ideals we hold that we pretend like we don't (laughs) as human beings Mm. right we we want to think we're higher than that we want to think we're better than that we want to think no that's not the way to live the way to live is a b or c ideology that aspires to be higher than that however have we faced splicers before and (laughs) and what what would we really do in that situation
1: (laughs) i don't freaking know man i have no clue
0: Right. And so, like, we haven't faced the power of that social media, big social media platforms have before. We haven't we hadn't faced uh, two nations having thousands of nuclear weapons like this before. Um, So what do we do? Like, what do we really do? And the default seems to be mm, we go back to this almost primal mindset of emergency powers and, and authoritarianism. But. Uh, you know, so I, I guess what I wanted to do was throw this out there to, to not put myself on a high horse so much and, and admit that like I'm human as well. And yes, when things are scary, it's very easy to go there. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very easy to criticize Andrew Ryan for giving up his ideals so easily, but it's not really so easily when you see what, what Bill McDonough is yeah. explaining here. Yeah. So it was quite some, yeah. Okay, um, this next one uh, is called Guns Blazing. Or no, wait, Bump Culpepper. This one's from Sullivan. So he he just got the order to kill her, basically, from Andrew Ryan. I just got the word to put the bump on Anna Culpepper. This isn't some gangster or hard-nosed political operative. We're talking about a dizzy twist, what wrote a song or two that got under Ryan's wig. Like, that's the level we're at here. He's so afraid he's so yeah. messed up that uh, somebody just criticizing him writing a, a nasty song about him from his perspective is Gets worth killed. killing yeah yeah and, and and this is where Sullivan is is really becoming disenchanted with Ryan as well right and, and we see that a little bit more later where actually I think we are already talked about it where he, he sent in his resignation and everything like he's just like I'm not I'm not all about this anymore this is no longer what it's supposed to be yeah I, exactly. I would I would kill. Andrew Ryan, a man that I loved because I love Rapture more. He loved the ideals more than he loved the man who taught him the ideals. So he, mm, Sullivan, sure. in the sure. midst of all of this, when 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 he had to make a choice between betraying his ideals, in the end, he chose not to. Um,
1: so the ideals were actually higher.
0: For him. For him, yeah. they were. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, obviously, a lot of people didn't survive, so... <laughs> The, you die for the ideals and say the ideals are better or you result or resort to, like we've been saying, the emergency powers to try to survive. What's stronger, yeah. the will to survive or the will to die for your ideals? <sighs> um, yeah. Okay, this one comes That's from good. Bill McDonough again, Guns Blazing. The good people of Rapture didn't sign up to see us government-types shutting down shops, killing their owners, even with a ponce like Fontaine, but he bring it on himself instead of uh, copying it on the chin bugger gets into his head that he's going to go down guns blazing. Who does he think he is? John bloody Wayne. We can get on top of this. We can, here's what we do. We find Fontaine's will and make what was his go to where it was intended and not into the pockets of us that put him into the ground. So Bill McDonough was also, you know, doing a a little bit of this uh, ends justify the means thing that he, he believed they had to kill Fontaine. Like we can't leave him alive and allow rapture to survive on the ideas we built it on. But what we can't do is take his companies is take all of this stuff and give it to the state, nationalize it. We can't give it Mm -hmm. to Ryan. If we do that, then we've betrayed the ideals way beyond what bill McDonough is willing to do. And at that mm. point, he's that's a step too far. We've got to give it to the poor that Fontaine claimed to be fighting for, because uh, mm. he set up like a poorhouse and everything like that. So he was like, "Okay, we can fix this, but we got to find the will, you know, or make one, <laughs> and make sure that that goes to the people it's intended to go to, or that he pretended they were intended to go to, and make sure we don't take it for right. ourselves, or else it's a disaster."
1: That's so funny. It seems like, um, rapture created a system where it was, it's, it was, it's just almost impossible to actually altruistically do the right thing. You have to cheat and fake things in order to, um, like, I don't know, in order to, uh, do what you see as the right thing, something like that in order to act unselfishly, you have to kind of cheat and fake things.
0: And how often has that happened in, in, even just in American history, right? Where the FBI or whatever will lie to the people to sort of like build a facade of the All American the ideals that yeah. they're being upheld, that the things we believe in are really what this country's built on, when really <laughs> what we're doing is just as bad as what they claim to hate communists for, right? So,
1: oh, yes. So, yeah. You know, a lot of the experiments and a lot of the government stuff.
0: And what's funny stuff. is
1: th- they can always claim that oh, but we're not doing that anymore because we never really know. There's like a 20 or 30-year lag behind what they're actually doing and when it gets revealed. And then people are like, oh, that's crazy. I can't believe they did that. But then it's all—it's like, oh, that was 20 years ago, though. We're definitely not doing that anymore. And then 20 years later, we find out what they're doing. You know,
0: yep. They're always doing something. Yep. And again, this is not to... I hope people really are not taking some of what we're saying here as like some kind of... Uh, <laughs> political statement uh, a strong political all, statement as much as up. as much as it is just most ideologies cannot really uphold when the rubber meets the road and that's really what the yeah. point of this game is is that and all, especially
1: when there's so much power at stake there's so especially in american politics and american yeah. government it's like you're dealing with trillions of dollars i mean it's almost inevitably going to go into some some really bad places
0: right and, and, you know, we, we, we would be equally critical of uh, communist authoritarianism oh, as yeah. we are <laughs> of Andrew Ryan or of what, you know, our own government has done. Or of our own,
1: done. Our, own, our own country, you know? Right. It's, it's yeah. just
0: the fact that the ideals seem to crumble when there's fear of either losing power or of national security. Like the ideals we claim to have they get abandoned in the face of those fears. And so yeah. that that's what really that's what this game is really saying. It's not here to criticize capitalism necessarily, or to uh, uh, say the other ideological extreme is what we should be doing. It's the total opposite of that. It's saying that ideals are really nice on paper, and it's a lot harder to uphold them when the internet comes around or when nuclear weapons come around or whatever it might be like when something like that happens um, we tend to like I've been saying repeating myself at this point abandon the ideals and and that's that's what what the criticism is really about here okay so this one's it's all grift from Hector Rodriguez you know what art music poetry it's all grift Cohen's got Ryan wrapped around his little pinky. And why? Mm. Because he tells him what he wants to hear. Rise, rapture, rise, which is the name of the anthem, right? Nuts, that stuff was stale before it came out of Cohen's pen. I'm through with the whole pinata. Let's see that old fruit try and keep me here. So he's another one of the um, uh, guys that you're sent to kill, one of the disciples, of former disciples of Cohen. So again, another person calling him out for not being that great. (laughs) of a of a lyricist for sure but artist generally okay just a couple more things here and we'll be done with um with uh for frolic ryan's stable boy this is from anna culpepper cohen's not a musician he's ryan's stable boy ryan's corrupt policies crap all over the place and cohen flutters around clearing it up but instead of using a shovel like you would with a proper mule cohen titties with a catchy melody and (laughs) a clever turn of phrase but no matter how nicely it sounds he can't really do anything about the smell i freaking love that last line um it's it's so there's a really nice clever turn of phrase there right we talked about this with how much we love the dialogue in vagrant story the ability to use metaphor to kind of like yeah. wittily, like come back at another character back and forth, right? Um, <clears throat> uh, the, the term for that is called a conceit, right? So conceits oh, yeah. back and forth, uh, these clever turn of phrases that use metaphors to like make a point. Um, th- this reads very much like that. Um, so she makes this metaphor to Cohen being this stable boy going around clearing up the manure from the mule, Andrew Ryan, who is just crapping out all these horrible policies everywhere, and and he comes up to scoop it up and, and make it, you know, clean it up and make it sound nice. Uh, but, uh, but no matter how nicely it sounds, he can't really do anything about the smell. So all of this smells a lot like propaganda, and it's obvious, it's on the nose, it smells terrible, no matter what it sounds like, right? It smells awful, it smells fishy, right? I, I yeah. loved that turn of phrase, I thought it was great.
1: Very good.
0: Um, last one here, this is just Sander Cohen. Actually, I don't need to read this. This is just basically, if you don't kill him, he sends you off to go kill Ryan and all that. So we kind of talked about that last time. Okay, I only have a few, just I think three um, notes on Hephaestus that were extra from what we okay. hadn't, hadn't said. I,
1: I have just one more note for Fort Frolic, something we okay. didn't bring up. There was that play about Patrick and Moira. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. That we They mention it um, in an audio diary, and then you see a poster for it, I think. Um, and it just... I mean, I got the Moira connection. Like, oh, that means fate, and it's um, what Atlas said his wife's name was. Oh, that's weird. But I forgot that Atlas also said he had a son named Patrick. Yep. And this play is called Patrick and Moira. And so all of a sudden, I'm thinking what are the odds right what are the odds that Atlas's family happened to be the names of people in this popular play in fort Frolic in in rapture so that's a thing we're going to get into soon
0: yeah there's a really great quote from him later about uh, his family quote unquote, yeah, right? he's such um, he's such a dirt person <laughs> he's awful um, he's so bad But uh, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. It's really good though. Um, So first note I took from Hephaestus um, was something Andrew Ryan says to you really soon after you leave there and like communication is established again because um, Cohen had jammed that, right? So Mm. Ryan says, I see Cohen's lost his touch. If you knew him when, and he sort of trails off, when he used to believe in the work, in the struggle, and now he rots in that neverland waiting for someone to come and tell him he still got it. I suppose that's why he let you live, and I kind of realized with that that is, I think, why he let Jack live. Uh, aside from wanting revenge on Ryan, to go, you know, he said something like, "You have your own canvas," and he realized you're there to kill Ryan. Um, but additionally, uh, I think he is looking for someone because because he asked us, "What do you think?" And when there was you don't like it, he like freaked out. He like lost it completely so i I really liked that Uh, i think it's pretty like you know um astute from from ryan like that cohen actually let us leave and live because he's hoping that we'll uh, tell him he still got it um okay (laughs) this one is called ryan takes uh fontaine futuristics from bill mcdonough i think we read this last time but i'm going to read it again because it's really good ryan nationalized fontaine futuristic so this was exactly what fontaine in the last area fort frolic said they can't do they cannot take fontaine's assets they have to give it to the people he claimed in his will he was going to give it to they have to give it to the poor or else it's going to be a disaster right and that's exactly what ryan does first thing he does is he natural, uh nationalizes uh fontaine's company he owns it now lock stock yeah. and barrel for the good of the city, he says. He'll break it up in due time, he says. I've resigned from the council and uh, lodged me letter of protest. But that's just pissing in the wind. It'll be war, I say, unless somebody stops Ryan and right fast. So this is when Bill McDonough uh, turns on Ryan, is, is when he took that extra step. Okay, we killed him. I'm willing to go that far. I'm, we cannot take his stuff. That's too far in betraying the ideals. So even Bill McDonough yeah. was not willing to go that far. So both Sullivan and McDonough, who were like two of his most loyal security detail, they they couldn't stick with it. Ryan went way too far for those guys.
1: Yeah.
0: It shows you, as extreme as these guys probably were in their ideology, just how far Ryan fell from his original ideals, Right? how far away he got from it. All right. The next one is Assassin from uh, Anya Andert's Daughter. Yes. Uh, which sounds like Ayn Rand's Daughter. Yeah, it kind of does. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, says, an assassin. That's rich. I could have gone along, I suppose. Spliced up. Forgot. I believed in this place. I believed in Ryan. But when it got hard, Ryan didn't believe in rapture. S- didn't believe in the great chain. He believed in power. And now this place is busto and my girl is gone, worse than gone. One of those things. So am I an assassin? Well, only one way to find out. So somebody who had their daughter turned into one of the little sisters, right? Uh, Also basically admitting how, how Ryan never really believed in his ideals to begin with. And that's how you find out whether you do believe in what you really believe in. When the rubber right. meets the road and you, yeah. uh, you know, um, a- as a metaphor, you see the splicers burping fire coming at you. <laughs> yeah. That's when you find out what you really believe in. Right? Absolutely.
1: That's part of, <laughs> we brought this up, I think it was in Mass Effect, where they say there's, there are no atheists in a foxhole, something like that. Yes, right. Like when the bullets are flying over your head, uh, you know, that that's where who you really are and what you really believe comes out. Right. And it's usually not the things you're talking about when the bullets aren't flying.
0: Exactly. It's a lot easier to talk about ideals when you're living in a time of peace and security yeah, and safety. Prospect. It's much yeah. harder to do that when you are you actually have the real chance of losing your own life or the lives yeah. of the people you love, your daughters, yeah. your yeah. sons, your wives and husbands. Uh, you know, a lot different. You start thinking a lot differently when you're actually facing that. And I think everybody... Uh, Should think about this from time to time. Um, It's 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 that's that's what's important. I think what this game is getting at is not so much let's take Ayn Rand's philosophy or whoever's and just like tear it apart. I don't think that that's (laughs) the point. Which is why some people's criticism of, um, let's say, Ken Levine having a very basic understanding of Ayn Rand's philosophy, for instance, right, or or saying you know this is like a teenager's level of understanding. I saw one person say. I I I am not here to argue with that. You, you're you probably are right, but that's <laughs> right. but my point is that's not the point of the game. Like the um, point of the game is not to uh, you know take a crap on Ayn Rand. The point of the game is to say ideals are great when you're not facing the bullets, when yes. you're not actually in real danger of losing what's important to you, and 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 the fear that comes during that, and and how easy it is to talk about ideals and how. You can get so married to those ideals that you're totally rigid in your thinking. You're unwilling to compromise at all. And you will not be open to listening to other perspectives. When you become completely radicalized to those ideals and unable to be open to uh, other perspectives, you lose sight of what is true. And Mm. Ryan has a line we're going to read here a little bit later where he asks himself this question and ultimately is completely unable to go there. He cannot, in the end, admit that he made mistakes and that he was wrong uh, in his ideals, that his ideals were not perfect the way that he thought they were. And I think it is vital, absolutely vital, for every person to check themselves and and what they believe, whether you are, uh, let's say, on an extreme sort of end of ideology or not. Because I I don't consider myself to be I consider myself to be pretty uh, neutral in terms of right. my leanings politically and whatnot. But um, in a different time, yeah, you'd be absolutely
1: radical, or um, for sure. Honestly, what is what is neutral and what is extreme is also kind of relative.
0: Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And even mm. if it is, even if it is truly. Uh, neutral or, or center or whatever you want to call it, or balanced, even if it was perfectly balanced, which there's no such thing as right. perfectly balanced. Let's say it was, <laughs> you still Something. need to check yourself. You still need to not get so convinced you are right about everything because it's right. so easy to believe you are because it's your own perspective. We're all trapped in this little prism of our own brain with only our own perspective to guide us through life. And so it just seems natural to accept that's real. Because that's the prism through which we see reality. But we are wrong so much more often than we think we are. Way yes. <laughs> more often than we think we are. And we've got and, and to even, be able.
1: Even, yeah, the experts as well are oh, absolutely. wrong more often than we would like to admit. Because we want to rely on people we think know stuff. And when they don't, it kind of throws everything out of whack. But
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And so the point of the game is not, like I say, to to take a dump on this ideology because in the next game they just go for the other extreme on the other pole and the, and they, yeah. and they do it to that. And then they come over here to nationalist uh, uh, fascism with, with infinite. So, nope. you know, like the, the point is not to pick an ideology to, to disparage. The point is to say, are you too convinced you're right? Check yourself because you probably are because everybody is right. That's what the game is really getting at. So I would just want to make that point. Like, that's what we're really talking about here. We're homemade. not trying to say, Ayn Rand sucks. Even if you do believe that. That's not the point of the game, right? Okay.
1: Uh, Chocolate Rob says, poor Anya ends up pinned to the uh,
0: Andrew Ryan's wall, along with McDonough. Mm, so yep. neither of them succeeded in the end. In the in the assassination attempt, yeah. Yeah. Only Jack. Well, Only even Jack. Jack, according to Ryan, well, Jack wouldn't have been successful. He took his own life, right? <laughs> ah, exactly.
1: Oh, that guy, <laughs> he's too clever, too clever. But obviously they didn't succeed in killing Andrew Ryan. It's just that they they are they're dead. They're not even still around doing anything. They're they're gone.
0: Right. Okay, so now I'm moving on here to Olympus Heights, which is where we left off from last time. So now we've actually caught back up to where we were in the playthrough. So this is after Andrew Ryan's death, after Fontaine reveal or Atlas reveals himself as Fontaine. And uh, basically, you, you learn about the whole programming that had been done with the trigger words, um, uh, would you kindly, and all that. So we wake up in Olympus Heights in uh, where the Little Sisters kind of live with Tenabom. And so this is what uh, Tenenbaum says to you as you uh, wake up. Welcome back, child. Welcome to the city where you were born. You're angry at Fontaine, yes? Now you know the truth. You are his tool, brought back to rapture to save him. You, saved, uh, you have saved many of my little ones. Of course, this would be probably a little different had you not done that. <laughs> I owe you a debt. While you sleep, I undid some of Fontaine's mental conditioning. His control is no longer complete, but he can still pull some very unpleasant strings. We made your mind with many locks and keys. So remember, Tennebaum was involved with Fontaine's programming of Jack too. So not only does she feel awful about what she did to the Little Sisters, she probably feels really bad about what she did to us. And this is kind of the bond they've created between the Little Sisters and Jack in, in terms of the, the, the shared trauma they have had at the hands of Fontaine and Tennebaum. So she's trying to undo that not only or, or make up for it in some way, whatever way she's capable with the little sisters, but also for us. And that's what she's gonna do. She's gonna help us break Fontaine's control. Fontaine has most of those keys, but not all. Su Chong designed your mind, taught Fontaine to control you. You might find answers in Su Chong's flat in Mercury Suites. So that's where she sends you off to to try to find a way to break the remainder of fontaine's control over you but she did at least take away his ability to use the phrase would you kindly and make yes. you do things yep so that's and the he thing. does he,
1: tr- he tries to use it again later and it doesn't yeah. work and he's like would you kindly he like keeps doing it over and over and right. when he finally realizes it won't work he has another phrase that he also beat into us mm-hmm. that apparently works to uh stop the heart from beating something like mm-hmm. that he yep. says the phrase, and I can't remember what it is. Code yellow. Code yellow. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you start getting these, like, your heart starts skipping a beat, you know, and you start getting all woozy. Yep. And But he says, oh, it'll take a while for your heart to actually stop. But, you know, yep. it's it's the damage is done, right?
0: Right. It sort of creates a ticking clock situation. Not technically. Like, there's not, like, a real time limit gameplay-wise. But in the it story. It feels it's... like there is,
1: though. It feels yes. like there is in the game. Because each time it happens, it's like, oh no, oh no! I gotta. It, it keeps you uh, urgent.
0: Yeah, because it's taking away your maximum HP. So, like, if you had been doing mm-hmm. upgrades through uh, Adam with the little sisters when you save them and you get Adam, uh, you yeah. can go to those. Uh, I don't know what they call it. The, the little, uh, what is it? The the vending machine thing with where you spend the circus the Atom. of value not that one. Okay. <laughs> the one for the little <laughs> sisters. But uh yeah, yeah, anyways, yeah. You, you spend the points there and you can get new powers or you can increase mm-hmm. your health, right? So if you've been doing that, um he every time this happens, it's taking your maximum health down. So it's like you have mm-hmm. a lower and lower health bar each time. Um and so, you know, the idea is like you're going to die if you don't hurry up and get this like cure to whatever he's done for the the mm-hmm. the, the other key that Tenenbaum does not have, to Jack's mind, but that Fontaine does have the code yellow uh, trigger. So, but the Frank- Gatherer's Garden, by the way. Gatherer's Garden. Yeah. Oh, that's what the the name of the vending machine is. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I took a couple of lines down here. They're all from Frank Fontaine, and each time this happens, where you like, you go, oh, and you're like the the maximum health goes down. He talks about how hard it is on him to watch you go through this, right? Um, yeah. He says, that's it, kid. You're busto. My new friends will catch up with you soon. Oh, kid, I hope they make it quick. You know, like he's saying, I hope they can make it painless and and kill you fast. You know, he doesn't want to see you suffer. Then he says later, I don't like this any more than you do, kid. But you got to understand where I'm coming from. I've got 12 years down here. Big investment. Man can't walk away from a long can like that. And then he says later, kills me to turn my fist on you. Uh, but business is business. Don't let it get you down. Won't make a difference when this whole place is fish food. Um, and then I just took one more down, but I think there's a couple others. He says, hate to see you this way, kid. Hell, I was there when you were born. You ever have a dog you got to put down? Breaks your heart. So there's two. <laughs> That's so bad. There's two sides of this that are bad. <laughs> yes. First of oh all, equ- equating Jack, who he's almost talking about like a son here earlier, but then actually turning that into more like a pet. You were like a pet to me, like a pet dog. The dehumanization of that. But on top of that, yes, Jack did have a dog he had to put down. He was yep. forced to put it down by Su Chong, who used the, the, the Would You Kindly trigger to make yeah. him break the dog's neck. And it's like, dude. <laughs> so jacked such That's a jacked, so jacked thing to say and and it yeah. makes me wonder whether or not that was it, it was intentional he said that as a means he's, to dehumanize him us. yes yeah. like he, he's not just saying it well have you ever had a an animal you had put down he knew jack yep. did that and he knew how much it hurt him and so he's equating what jack did to that dog to what he has to do with him like the exactly. dehumanization
1: of that. It's a dog, yes, yes. So Jack is a dog that is disobeying, and now he has to kill his his pet, his dog that did his bidding. Um, and it's also talking down about who he was this whole time, just saying that, like, yeah, you you you've just been uh, you've been a dog this whole time, following orders. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's just a it's a
0: put down. It's it's horrible. Frank Fontaine yeah.
1: sucks. <laughs> He's awful, dude. He is so bad.
0: OK, um, here is a, uh, a journal I took down from it's called Artist Woman from Sullivan, the one of the I think the head of security. Again, when it was done with Culpepper, I left her as she was in the bathroom. I seen she had a blanket half knitted by her bed. It was nice, you know, black and red, real pretty. So I took it so I could, you know, have somebody finish it so it could be of use to someone. It just didn't seem right to leave it lying there, lying there all by itself. So you see how much it's eating at him that he he betrayed his ideals at this point. Because yeah. he talked about how, how uh, we're not talking about some mobster here or some, you know, like hardcore criminal. This is just a person who wrote a song and it, it, it pissed off Ryan and he's sending me to assassinate this woman and he did it. <laughs> he actually yeah. went through with it and he sees the, the half-knitted blanket and he, he has to take it with him. It, this, he, there's, he can't just leave that behind. I love that. Yeah. I thought that that was great.
1: That was a good touch.
0: I, I like that. Um, So we got another line from Frank Fontaine. That tenabom ain't what you think. Florence Nightingale, huh? That'll all come crashing down for you, say, canned tomatoes. I've seen good bucko. I've seen great bucko, but what... But when you waltz through Rapture and World War II without even a scratch, you got more than leprechauns watching over you. So he's talking about Tenenbaum there, that she survived World War II, right? Because she was uh, in the the concentration camps. The camps, right? yeah. And, and she survived through this war and Rapture. Like, obviously, there's something more going on here. <laughs> right like yeah. she, you've been betrayed by me you've been and he'll say this later you know you've had betrayal. you really trust this woman now we know from the audio logs that she has actually repented at this point right so she's really right. trying to make it up but i i like how this sows doubt because it almost does set it up to feel like wait a minute what if what if she's playing us too everyone down here is playing everyone else It yeah, creates yeah. some real doubt there where you're like uh, maybe I shouldn't be trusting her. Like maybe she is going to turn on me. Uh, of course, that doesn't end up happening. We're winding down to the end of the game, but I liked that yeah. because it was—it's—it's it's totally plausible that that could be happening too. I at totally
1: this point. could have, that could have been a way that this game went. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I loved that. Um, the last one I took down from here was "Sad Saps" from Frank Fontaine. Uh, These sad saps, they come to rapture thinking they're going to be captains of industry, but they all forget that somebody's got to scrub the toilets. What an angle they gave me. I had these uh, mugs, a cot and a bowl of soup, or I hand them, right? A a cot and a bowl of soup, and they give me their lives. Who needs an army when I got Fontaine's home for the poor? Um, So, you know, this is, I I think, kind of a common thing you hear about capitalism, right? Uh, For people who criticize it is that, you know, uh, we talk about the opportunity for, uh, you know, starting your own business and creating your own product and going out there. But it's like the society, there's got to be somebody around scrubbing toilets for the society to work like it's at, at every level. There needs to be somebody doing this. There has to be there have to be people who do not become captains of industry and who are lower on the totem pole or the hierarchy of the society for it to work. And it's not
1: even that there have to be people, it's that there has to be the majority of people who are not, you know, uh, higher up.
0: Yeah, in order for the captains of industry to go out there and create this uh, abundance for themselves and become rich and live that uh, sort of uh, uh, lifestyle that they dreamed about, it requires that tons of people uh willingly <laughs> take jobs where they're never going to have that and where they're essentially going to work their like, give their labor and their lives away to make that possible for someone else and someone I, I, else. i'm not you know again i'm not here uh making some sort of statement about whether or not this is a good or a bad thing necessarily as much as i am uh pointing out again in every ideology There are things you got to deal with like this that that you have to face you have to face these realities that it's not perfect and are there ways that we can improve this or are there ways that we can uh create something better right
1: right because somebody has to do it either way um i think the capitalist thing is the voluntary right that it's like somebody has to do it but if nobody wants to do it then the the price that people are willing to pay for someone to do it just slowly starts going up until eventually people say oh i'll do it for that amount you know and as long as people aren't being forced to do all those dirty jobs, right. eventually somebody does get to do them. The trouble is, you know, you question whether that's the American dream or not. But, sure, you know, people would rather not starve, I suppose.
0: <laughs> I love the line. I think it was from, uh, oh my goodness, who's the comedian? He was in um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh my gosh, I oh. can't think of his name right now. Someone in the comments, please. Someone in uh, Discord, help was, me out.
1: Was he Rufus? Who are yes, you talking about? Yes,
0: the, 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 the old guy who like Rufus. guides them. He's a comedian. Oh, no. He's, What's he's his not, freaking um, name?
1: The famous guy, George Carlin.
0: George Carlin. Thank you so much. Yes. I, I love this line by George Carlin where he says, uh, you got to be uh, the American dream. It's called the American dream because you got to be asleep to believe it. Um, (laughs) I freaking loved that that was super clever (laughs) Um, okay so let's move to Apollo Square here oh at the end of this uh, before you get to Apollo Square you find what's called lot 192 Um, and you take it and it it breaks or it it begins to break the the code yellow sort of like control that uh, Fontaine has over you but um, it has other side effects where you can't choose your powers anymore like for a limited time like they keep switching randomly so you can't choose which of your um, of your powers that you use and so they become kind of useless at that point right oh, yeah. and you got to get like a bigger dose in order to like fully break it and then have control again so you got to go to Apollo square in order to um, to get a higher dose of the medication that will actually like free you from Fontaine so that's kind of like the, the gameplay constraint that you're working under now. And it's kind of cool. It breaks it up quite a bit where like if you were dependent on using abilities to fight earlier, which it kind of pushed me to because I lost all my ammo back in <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> now I can't yeah. use the powers and I've got to depend on the ammo. So anyway, yeah, I liked it. I, I thought it was a nice sort of like uh, break or, or, or a, a little wrench kind of thrown into the Uh, The gameplay loop that made it a little more interesting for this next section okay so the first note I took in Apollo Square was the audio log what's happening here from Diane McClintock I was so angry when I came down here but my god I had no idea there's armed men all over the place I saw a woman climb over the fence trying to escape one of Ryan's guards pointed at her and she lit on fire just like that what's happening here so she was coming down here to give these uh, Atlas followers a piece of her mind, right? Do you, do, don't you guys realize how much you're ruining Rapture? And you, no. How could you do this to me? How could you come in on New Year's Eve and shoot me like this and disfigure me and cause me all this pain? And she goes yeah. down there and she sees Ryan's men lighting a woman on fire who was trying to run away. And she goes, um, this was not what I was expecting to find here. Yeah. And this is when her mind starts to change about who she should, you know, ally herself with. So pretty powerful stuff. Um, I'm sure there are many uh, current day examples <laughs> or, or that you could use this as a metaphor for where you see uh, something uh, in the news that makes you go, wait a minute. Like, this is not what I thought this country was all about. right? Um, yeah. Okay, so Atlas Lives is the next one, also from Diane McClintock. I bribed one of the gorillas at the gate to let me in. It's awful in here. To my right, I can see a dead woman lying in the street. Everybody's just walking by her like she isn't there. But I noticed something spray-painted everywhere. Atlas lives. I don't know what it means, but something tells me it's important to these people. So this is after Frank Fontaine has died he allowed them to think he was dead. And now he's taken up the Atlas moniker and he's, uh, yeah. rallying he's, people. He's, through
1: he's that he's John Galt. Yeah, exactly. That's
0: great. <laughs> Um, okay. So this is when, did you end up going into Fontaine's house for the poor? Cause I think it's kind of like an area you don't necessarily have to go into. It's almost optional, but there's yeah, a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah. yeah, I did. Okay. So I took down this line from Frank Fontaine main Ryan made Ryan good and mad. When I started playing the charity angle Fontaine's home for the poor for, I knew if I was calling or before I knew it, I was calling myself Atlas in leading an army Ryan and his precious rapture. You don't have to build a city to make people worship you. Just make the chumps believe they're worth a nickel. Hmm. So, um, there was a point I kind of wanted to make with this, uh, you know, Atlas is sort of taking on the opposite political ideology in terms of what he's preaching, but of course he doesn't really believe in it and he's just using that to get his army. So, um, you know, there, there's there's also that you got to watch out for in terms of ideologues you follow. What is it that they're really after? Um, how do they really live? Do they live what they're preaching? Uh, is somebody who's preaching... The things that say Atlas would have been preaching—is uh, that really the way this person lives, or are they just using it to uh, gain your subscription to their YouTube channel, <laughs> or, or or whatever it might be, to 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 gain power, to use you and those following what this person is saying, the ideals that you believe in? Do they really believe in it or not? That's another thing you really got to watch out for, right? Is who you're listening to, and. As far as I'm concerned, in terms of like political discourse in this country, there's not too many people I trust that really believe what they're saying, uh, particularly when they're making a lot of money by saying it. Um, and this is on all sides of the political spectrum, to be honest. Mm. Um, okay, this one is from protection, uh, called Protection Bond from Yi Suchong. Um, I loved this just because Chang finally gets what's coming to him. So he says, clinical trial. Protector system plasmid lot 255. Dr. Su Chong, client Ryan industries. Very frustrating day. I can't seem to get the damn big daddies to imprint on the little brats. The protection oh, this bond is a good is not one forming.
1: Okay. Especially because of where you find this as well. Yes. Right. It's next to a person who's just become very jacked. Oh yeah. Somebody who <laughs> died a horrible, horrible death.
0: Okay. Keep, keep reading. And so as he's, you know, making this audio log, we get, yeah. uh, a little sister who speaks up saying papa suchong and he says get away maybe if i modify the genetic sequence to and he says pop she says papa suchong he says shush shoo sequence allow for papa suchong papa suchong papa suchong and he goes get away you filthy little shit and he like smacks her he smacks and him. as he hits her and she starts crying he goes what and then we hear a bouncer roar, bouncer being one of the, bouncer's one of the types of uh, big daddies. So big there's daddy, like different yeah. classes of them, right? Yeah. And he goes, what are you doing? Get back, get back. Ah! So the sweet irony here, he cannot <laughs> seem to figure out how to get these big daddies and little sisters to bond. And it was by yeah. smacking this girl and t- mistreating her the way they have been that it finally, the breakthrough happened.
1: <laughs> and it kills, it kills, yeah, him. Oh, that was so good.
0: Yep, I loved it. Loved yeah. it. Okay, the next one is Meeting Atlas. This is from Diane McClintock as well. This is where it really kind of starts to come around for her. There's another one after this, but I really like this one too. She says, The people here have grown to trust me, Ryan's mistress, and still they take me in. They finally brought me to Atlas. Without him, the people of Apollo Square would give up. I asked him if he was going to lead the people in some kind of uprising against Ryan. He sighed and said, I'm not a liberator. Liberators do not exist. These people will liberate themselves. I thought Andrew Ryan was a great man. I was a fool. So, in terms of what I was just talking about a minute ago, right, with be careful who you're listening to or the the ideologue that you're following and, and getting your information from and your ideals from, because they may act like this when they're live streaming or (laughs) talking to you on TV, they may say things like this, but they're, they're, they're playing you, they're playing you and they're getting something from it, especially those that make a lot of money to talk about this stuff. Right.
1: Yeah. You see that a
0: lot. So they, they may be very convincing, uh, in their act as Atlas is being here, but we all know Atlas is not really Atlas. Atlas is Frank Fontaine and Frank Fontaine sucks. (laughs) He's horrible. So you got to be careful with that, man. You got to be careful for that. You got to think for yourself more. Don't, don't put so much of your uh, the formation of your of your ideals into somebody in a position of power like that. It's just not saying that there's there's no such thing as a paragon in a position like that. Uh, but right. it's not exactly common. they they're very much more often driven by power and money. And when they have a lot of it and they have a lot of it to lose, they'll say what they need to say. And that's exactly what Fontaine is doing here. And uh, McClintock is taking it, I mean, just (laughs) hook, line, and sinker at this point. Okay, the next one I have here is the longest con. Frank Fontaine, never play a man for the short con when you can play him for the long one. Atlas is the longest con of all, playing into what I was just saying. Ryan wanted Frank Fontaine dead. I just gave him what he wanted. As Atlas, I got a new face, a clean record, and a fresh start. Now it's time to take back Rapture. And, and then as he's saying that, Diane McClintock comes in. I can't wait to tell Atlas. He'll be so pleased. And then he changes his voice from the Frank Fontaine uh, like mobster <laughs> New Yorker <laughs> accent into his Atlas accent, Right. Uh, Miss McClintock, what are you doing here? Let me just, and he slowly kind of stammers off. So again, just kind of the same thing of what I was just saying. And then uh, <laughs> last one here from Diane McClintock. Today's raid. In fact, um, she was actually saying this. She was recording this one as she walked in on Frank Fontaine there. So the, the, that line there where she says, uh, he'll be so pleased, just pay attention to the end of this one. We went on a raid outside the wire today. We snagged 31 rounds of buckshot, four frag grenades, a shotgun, and 34 Atom. We lost McGee, Epstein, and Vallette. Uh, we got one of those goddamn big daddies in the bargain, though. It was something awful what they had to do to that little girl to get the Atom. But we didn't start this thing. Ryan did. I can't wait to tell Atlas he'll be so pleased. So she's been completely mm-hmm. radicalized at this point point, yeah, and is justifying... All the people that are dying around her, and also what they had to do to the little sisters to get the atom from them, because Ryan started this, not us. Okay, so she she this yeah. is actually really great because she it did exactly what we've been talking about through this podcast. She abandoned the one pole for the other, yep, and the two yes, poles, exactly. yeah, yeah. In terms of the hermetic um, law or, or uh, principle of polarity that we've been talking about, yeah. The two poles are really the same thing. She abandoned Ryan for Atlas. And Atlas and Ryan are on opposite sides of the They're both spectrum. just
1: using her. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And in yeah. the end, they're both just using her. And in the end, they're both authoritarian. And in the end, they're both right, yeah. uh really not that far. They're really the same thing, just to different degrees. And that's a that one
1: dimensional thinking where it's like you have a continuum and it's just you're either one side or the other. And if you can at the very least open that up to 2D, right? You, you have more movement. It's not just right. one side or the other. There's an up and down as well now, right? Yes. And, but when you're thinking in that, um, just that simple binary, you're just like, oh, I'm not this thing anymore. I guess I'm this thing, right?
0: And in the end, I mean, what was she trying to do when she was with Ryan? She was just trying to please him. She wanted uh, to be accepted and she wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, to please a man. That was yeah. what her whole motivation was. And it wasn't working out over there. So, it wasn't really about ideals for her either. Really, when you no. boil down, like what drove her, she couldn't please Ryan, but she can't wait to please Atlas. And in the end, she's not doing that either. She just doesn't realize, right? That at either end, she's doing the same thing. In the end, right. both ends exactly. are the same for her, too. In yeah, the end, it's just doing about pleasing all these horrible the man.
1: Things. Yeah.
0: yeah. And she's justifying all of this for that, right? So. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. When we're saying don't jump ship from one radical ideology for the other because really you're just doing the same thing.
1: Yeah. I remember, I was I was I can't even remember how old I was. I was so young, but I was thinking like the opposite of two isn't negative two. It's like green. Yes, and the right. opposite, the opposite <laughs> of left isn't right. The opposite of left is house. I don't know, like, because yeah. my idea when I thought of opposite, I'm thinking, oh, there's the thing and then there's the farthest possible thing that exists away from that thing, which would be in yeah. an entirely different category, a truly different thing. Yeah, yes. But and that was me as a young kid, I actually have a tendency to be a, too literal, I think very literally about things. Um, I didn't understand what an opposite was. And basically, an opposite is is the same thing, just the other side. And once I understood that, I'm like, oh, OK, I get it
0: now. Right. Okay, uh, so we get to Point Prometheus. This is the final area of the game. This is where you see Frank Fontaine for the first time. You kind of start chasing him here at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like, you know, throwing stuff in the way as you're like running after him. Um, yeah. He says, last chance, kid. Uh, you pack it in now. I'll leave this dump to you and uh, Frau Kraut, which is, he's referring to um, Tennebaum, right? So you'll, you leave me alone. I'll leave Rapture to you. You keep coming, and Rapture's a fish tank. I'll destroy the place. Similar to the the thought process of Ryan. Like, if I can't have it, I'll burn it to the ground, yeah, whether it's his, his, yeah. the, his national forest or whether it's Rapture, whatever. Uh, Frank Fontaine's ready to do the same thing here. So then Tenenbaum's pissed, you know. Ah, you let him get away. I need a moment for thinking. Ah, ah of course, this will be no problem. Find a big daddy and search his yeah. body. I would suggest you to be finding one. So essentially what happens here in the slack section is he wants, she wants to dress you up like a big daddy. Uh, That includes not only the suit, but also the pheromones that attract the little sisters and bond them to you uh, or bond them to the big daddies. Uh, She wants to get you all dressed up like that so that the little sisters can guide you through a section that'll get you to Fontaine. And so that you'll have the power hopefully in that suit to be able to fight Fontaine as the final boss of the game. So this is all kind of leading up to um, the final boss of the game which is going to be Frank Fonte. So this section is all kind of about collecting the pieces in order to transform yourself into a big daddy. Now, I do have a question on this, and maybe maybe Rob or somebody else who's here live will be able to answer this, because okay. um, generally when people were bonded to the big daddy suits, it was like uh, you don't walk out of that. It's like a one-way street. You transform into this, and there's no going back, because like like the, the suit becomes part of your body. It's like... It's like grafted to your skin. So I don't think that's what happens with Jack here. So is it just that he puts on the suit, but he doesn't do whatever the process is to graft it to him? But it just he just looks like a big daddy and he has the pheromones on. So the little sisters are like tricked into bonding with him or uh, but they they talk about it or I'll read what Su Chong says here in a bit. Suichon talks about it as if once you put on the suit there's no taking it off. So I was a little confused on that point because clearly in the ending Jack has taken the suit off at some point. Um so I just had a little bit of confusion on that. So maybe somebody listening live will be able to answer that for me. But I'm just throwing it out there at the beginning. Um I'll let you know. Okay. Uh so Marketing Gold this is a uh, one that comes from Andrew Ryan. I'll admit Fontaine showed some foresight when he built up the plasmid business, but the man really never understood sales. Hiding those little girls beneath a bushel? I've just seen the preliminary design work on the new plasmid machines, and they're exactly what I wanted. Mark my words, presented properly, those little sisters are marketing gold. Great. Hiding under a bushel. Once again, it's religious terminology that's being... Yep. He does right so here. much of that. He he, he really yeah. speaks like uh, some kind of like prophet or. Uh, <laughs> right. Something
1: like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And, and, and he, really? yet he's so anti-religious, right? I or know, claims yeah. to be, right? Like he, he bans Bibles and yeah. hates the, what's that group called again in Arcadia? the The
1: Saturnine.
0: The, yeah. The Saturnine cult, yeah. right? He's like all about snuffing them out and no, there's no gods here. But like. Yeah. He talks so much like a TV evangelist or something. It's just like, <laughs> holy crap, dude! Yeah.
1: You're,
0: you're exactly what you hate. You're the you're on the polar opposite side, but really, you're kind of just the same thing at a different degree.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, um, Chocolate Rob has this great. Uh, he says he uh, uh, these. He says he doesn't think it's permanent, the Big Daddy thing. Um, okay. but it just isn't clear. It's not clear.
0: Not clear. Uh,
1: Rob also said that uh, Frank Fontaine, in creating the perfect assassin to take out Ryan, he created the perfect assassin to take himself out. Exactly. Um, I think that's really good because this is almost like Rapture in general. Andrew Ryan is able to subvert government by building Rapture in a place where government can't get to it. And he's like, all right, I figured out a way to build a thing that can avoid government intervention. And then he tries to use government intervention on the thing he built yes. and it doesn't work. So it's like, once again, you, you, you create the thing that does what you want it to do, but you don't have the foresight that it's going to come for you next. Right.
0: Right. Um, okay. So next, this is a, just a quote from Frank Fontaine. As you're moving through the level, you think turning yourself into one of those tin men is a, a two way street. The crowd's holding auditions for the Frankenstein parade and you're first in line. So he's the one who kind of begins to tell you, like, there's no coming back from this almost, right? Like, you don't realize what you're really doing here. Um, So why just girls? This is a diary from (laughs) Tenenbaum. I know why it has to be children, but why just girls? This I cannot determine why, but I know it is so. Fontaine says, ah, one less bathroom to build in the orphanage.
1: (laughs) He would. He would say that.
0: I know, right? <laughs> it is amazing to watch the effect of Adam on their small bodies, their own cells replaced by the new stems the instant they are damaged. These children are practically invulnerable. It's a shame you could not do the same thing for an adult. There would be quite the market for a man you could not kill.
1: Of course.
0: Mm-hmm. Next one is called Cheap Son of a Bitch from Yi Su Chang Fontaine. Scary Son of a Bitch but Ryan cheap, son of a bitch. <laughs> so I should probably, um, clarify here. And I think he does in a minute. Cause he talks about, uh, the Japanese. Uh, I think he, he's Korean and he yeah, was born during the time of the Japanese, um, uh, occupation, occupation. Yeah, of Korea. The
1: 30s, 20s, 30s and 40s. Right.
0: Yeah. So he, anyway, that that's, he, he's Korean just so people know that. Um, you can uh, not reuse a protector suit. You can't reuse it, he's saying. Take a man, graft his skin and organs straight into the suit. Otherwise, the suit doesn't work. Ryan Mm. says big daddies are too expensive. Ryan can suck an egg. So that's where I was kind of drawing this idea that you can't undo uh, getting inside one of these suits. Now, my, my speculation on this is that Jack just puts it on, but it's not grafted to him. Therefore, it's not as powerful as if it was yeah. a big daddy, really. Oh, sure.
1: And also, it sounds to me like the grafting process, you, you would need another person for it. You wouldn't be doing yes. it yourself. Right? right.
0: So I think that while Jack has the suit on and it gives him some added defense and power or whatnot, I think he's probably still not nearly as powerful in his big daddy suit as a real big daddy would be. That's kind of mm, my speculation okay. on that. Um, that he wasn't grafted in that way, so he's he's not as powerful. But what, what he's saying here is that the suits don't work unless you graft the skin and organs straight into the suit. So just something I was a little bit confused about. There. Um, next one I have here is protecting little ones. Yu Suchong says, war is a terrible thing. Japanese killed every man in my city except for Su Suchong. Suchong has or had opium, very good opium. <laughs> Uh, this war is a terrible thing, too, but not for Suchong. Everyone's scared now. Everyone needs Adam, more than little sisters can make. Good news is, war- we talked about uh, uh, scarcity, right? Everyone needs Adam and more than the little sisters can make. There's scarcity for Adam. Mm-hmm. Good news is war makes lots of corpses. Suchong knows way to recycle Adam from the corpse, but can't send little sisters out to the streets unprotected. Chung must think on this. So this is where he got the idea of making the Big Daddies to recycle Adam that was uh, they could find in the bodies of, mm. of the people who are dead. So we can't produce it fast enough with the little sisters alone, with the little slugs in their bodies, so we can recycle it from dead people. But we can't send these little girls out by themselves, so we need an answer to that. This is where the Big Daddy protection program came from. Hmm. Um, next one is called Mistakes. I've been waiting to get to this one. This is one of my favorite this is probably my favorite audio diary in the whole game because it really drives at the real point that we've been talking about. Andrew Ryan says, Could I have made mistakes? One does not build cities if one is guided by doubt. But can one govern in absolute certainty? I know that my beliefs have elevated me, just as I know that the things I have rejected would have destroyed me. But the city it is collapsing before my have I become so convinced by my own beliefs that I have stopped seeing the truth. Perhaps. But Atlas is out there and he aims to destroy me and destroy my city. To question is to surrender. I will not question. He was so close. He, he, was. he was so close to the point. And ultimately his fear one out well so that was good that's it to me that's like the climax that's like the pinnacle of what these this story is about right there wrapped up all in one audio yeah that's it that's what the game's about right there and he he could not look at himself in the mirror going back to our last game silent hill 2 in the way that (sighs) he needed to (laughs) and the way that all of us need to we've got to be able to look ourselves in the mirror for real and andrew ryan couldn't he couldn't look at himself wasn't able to accept what he would have seen there. Okay, next one from Frank Fontaine. This is not an audio diary. This is him talking to you. I've got the uh, I've got the rapture now, or I've got rapture now. I've got the atom now. You think that tin suits even half enough to put that put the scare on me? Where are you going to go? Your life, your family—they're a fairy tale, kid. No more real than something you read about in the Saturday Evening Post. Poor bastard, a motherless freak whipped up in half-baked science experiment now when when someone starts talking to you this way it's pretty evident that they are scared <laughs> so he's sitting yeah. there trying to tell you about you think that tin can's enough to scare me and then he starts berating <laughs> you like this because he is yeah. scared and he's going after as much atom as possible because he's really scared
1: <laughs> yes
0: it's obvious he, knows, what he, he knows what's coming yeah he knows us he I mean he knows what he made in you he knows he made the perfect assassin he knows the perfect assassins coming after him so yeah he's scared he's definitely scared um he says here that's it kid it's been a long road you don't even remember most of it uh put you on a sub when you were just a sprout i really uh wound you up with that wife and child bit oh me poor myra i me wee baby patrick maybe one day i'll get me a real family They play well with the suckers. This is what we were alluding to a little bit earlier in terms of the fact he never had a family. So that whole scene where he's, you know, freaking out, his kid and his wife burned alive in that bathysphere. uh, Yeah, that's not his real family. He never actually had a family.
1: No, he didn't. And he just, I I have this image too. This is great. I have this image of, because when you you can go to a place um, around, I think where Atlas in like Atlas is, room i guess where you can see the statue of patrick and or sorry statue a poster of patrick and moya next to a dartboard right yeah and you can almost imagine that atlas is kind of making this up as he's going right and i think the dartboard there's darts thrown at a picture of jack a picture of our character right it's like his face is like, you know, darts are being thrown at his face. And I I can almost, like, see uh, Atlas just kind of making things up, looking around him. Oh, yeah, my kids. Yeah, Uh, uh, Patrick and Moira. Yeah, there you go. And all the while, just, like, leaning back in a recliner, just throwing darts at Jack's face (laughs) and just like, yeah, oh, no, my kids. Oh, they're about to die. Oh, man. And then, boom, another, like, bullseye right in Jack's eye and just, like, making it up as he goes. I don't know. I, I think that's great.
0: Yeah, it's awesome um so oh, we gonna... so
1: chocolate rob says it is ryan's face but they're crossbow bolts so it wasn't uh, a dartboard it was a, he was shooting crossbows <laughs> at a picture of, of uh of jack's face
0: andrew oh, wait, ryan it or... says,
1: oh it says ryan's face okay so this okay. is andrew ryan i thought it was jack for some reason
0: okay so yeah, he's shooting crossbow bolts at, at jack ryan's ryan.
1: face well yeah. right next to the poster of patrick and moira i just feel like there's a connection there yeah
0: for sure that's that's hilarious Okay, so now we get another one from him. He's exhilarated at this point because he's got the atom now. Don't know what I was thinking. Never spliced up once the whole time I was down here in this aquarium. Right. Figured yeah. it was bad to mix business with pleasure. But, whoo! forget all the nose candy and floor polish I've been wasting time with. This stuff is the mother's milk. <laughs> so he had never actually spliced before, the, even no, though he had, he had started Fountain Futuristics yes, and had been selling that, this stuff.
1: Yeah, and he never actually used the product ever. This yeah. is actually very similar. Uh, this is an article from probably 10 years ago, but I'm, I'm sure it may still hold true today. Um, there was some survey done of a bunch of executives at tech companies, and it turns out that tech executives limit the screen time that they allow for their children. Like severely. Oh, wow. So they're making the tech that is getting everyone else addicted, but they don't use it much themselves, and they sure as heck don't let their kids use it uh, nearly as much as your average Joe Schmo, right? And so I feel like there's like a connection
0: there. Oh, totally. That That's actually a really good real-life parallel.
1: <laughs> now, th- yeah, it's very good. And I can't remember. The study was done maybe 2013, 2014. Um, but yeah, it's specifically the people creating this stuff. They don't let their kids use it.
0: Well think about all the products. I mean even ones that are like knowingly like super unhealthy like cigarettes. The people who produce cigarettes like do those guys smoke?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yet though maybe some but probably not not really very many.
0: Yeah, right? It's like, you know, how many of these people who know how damaging their products are to people's health and to people's mental health and to society in general, you know, they're making money on it. Again, this is another probably good or fair, I should say, criticism of capitalism uh, are aren't using the stuff themselves. They're totally aware of how damaging this consumerism is, this consumerist society we live in is. Yet the 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 it, uh, the capitalist market thrives on the consumerism, right? And we were talking about this a little bit off camera last week too. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should how bad, that. <laughs> how awful consumerism is, and how much. Yeah, uh, I think it's most people really recognize that. Yeah, how much our, our economy uh depends on it.
1: It's literally it's it's a consumer economy. I mean that that's that's what it is. Yeah. And consumer economies will tilt towards a consumerism as almost as an ideology. And you gotta do you gotta find something to kind of keep yourself away from that. Because naturally you're just gonna fall right into it. Yeah.
0: Okay, so Frank Fontaine goes on, ha, that might be plenty for the worker scrubs and the pencil pushers, but I need more. More. I want to splice till there ain't nothing left to splice with. So he's going, I mean, <laughs> ex- excuse the expression, but balls deep with this splicing thing here. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's in the deep end. He's in he's the deep not end of this pl- <laughs> Not at <That's> a- all. <laughs>
1: You can um, almost imagine somebody it's their first time ever doing it and they just completely overdo it. And it's like, dude, you're you're setting yourself up, man. This isn't
0: Yeah. This is obviously not leading somewhere good. <laughs>
1: yeah, clearly.
0: Clearly. Um, you so, see, this is
1: kind of a trope in a lot of um what cartoons, or I'm trying to think of a specific one where it's like somebody's using more power, more power, and they just don't realize they're just destroying themselves. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's gotta be it's I've seen it a hundred times, I think. Yeah.
0: I, I, I agree. Okay, so we got Tennebaum here saying, there, you must use the needle of the little sister. So this is after you've been following the little sisters. I kind of like this because there's actually a quote I didn't take here where the little sisters are kind of guiding you and getting you into places you wouldn't be able to get otherwise, right? Yeah, yeah. But along the way, they find corpses and they're just programmed to farm Adam and recycle Adam from them. And I think Tenenbaum says something like, oh, they can't help it, but like this is going to attract splicers to them once they start taking the atom from these corpses. Please protect them. But it's like the little sisters are so programmed to do that, that even though what's really supposed to happen is they're supposed to guide you into where Fontaine is, they can't help themselves when they see a corpse. They're like, oh, I got to go take the atom from it. Yes. And then you got to like fight off all the splicers. I know. You have to protect them.
1: Um, That's crazy. Uh, I feel like it's around here when Tenenbaum is just like, yeah, even though you've helped them out a lot, they are permanently screwed up and it's completely my fault and I will never find forgiveness. And this is Dr. Tenenbaum talking. Um, In fact, you probably put this quote down somewhere else, but I think now's a good time as anywhere else to read it. Um, She says, for such sins as this, we can never atone. Yeah, I feel like. Tenenbaum has come to a point where she's gone. She's rejected, you know, the, the extreme where she was at. You know, she's rejected the, um, what, what would you call it? Just the, uh, the moral-less possibilities of, of human existence. And um, she. it almost feels like she's talking about atoning for sins, right? She's, she's speaking religiously again. And it's like she's accepted um, a type of God in some form or another. Um, and that she feels like she will be punished for what she's done now. And that's, uh oh, how would you put it? That's like, um, well, first off, it's against Andrew Ryan's rules, right? No gods. right So yep. she's breaking the rules even more. But th- these things are just kind of naturally finding their way back into her life. Uh, it's not like she had a conversion, or it's not like she read the Bible or whatever. She This is this is all happening against her will, just kind of naturally, just like flowing into her mind and her body, and she can't do anything to stop it. Right. It's
0: really interesting. Yeah. Um, super well done, the, the Tenabom arc uh, character. Very. I, I love her character. Yeah. I, I think on this playthrough, I'd say she's my favorite character in the game. Me the, too. This she's
1: yeah. evil and deserves life in prison. but <laughs> But she's, I think she's my favorite character in the game. Yeah, for sure. Like, okay, I don't know about evil. She's she's, whatever. She deserves life in prison and, you know, we well, can talk about evil or not. You
0: know, <laughs> <later>. <laughs> we talked about this in our last podcast. She too, was evil. That's for sure. Silent Hill 2, right? Where, yes, um, is, yes. Is there really such a thing as good and evil or is there just a spectrum of brokenness upon which people find themselves? There and, you go. You know, when we, when we realized Tenenbaum came from concentration camps and we talk about the struggles that's of her life, that's yeah. you know what I mean? Like... At least, she was able to see. She was able yes. to do what Ryan wasn't able to do, which is the great contrast between them. Ryan had the chance; he was standing at the mirror, he was ready to look at himself, yeah, and then he chose right. not to. Tenenbaum that's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Tennebaum looked herself in the mirror and said, "This is wrong. Why yeah, I am not? I am right. not correct. There are so many things I'm wrong about here." And yeah. Ryan refused to do that. He refused and to do it. Even That's, though
1: he kind of knew it. He knew it, but he refused. Yeah, Yeah, and, and
0: and really, I'm almost finding the same core message from both the games we just played, whether it's Silent Hill yeah. 2 or this, is that you've got to be willing, I know, you've got to be willing to look yourself in the mirror for real yeah. and 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 uh, admit where you're wrong and admit your faults and be yes. ready to accept that. And, and like those I mentioned, are,
1: are you still gonna end up serving life in prison yeah probably but that's not the point right like the point is to kind of like come to an acceptance of yourself and where you're at and to try to uh, well like she said to she's trying to atone for her mistakes right trying to make things right
0: yeah so yeah great stuff um okay so you have to use the needle of the little sister to drain Fontaine of his Adam. It's the only way to defeat him. So this is kind of the gimmick of the final boss fight here is that he's yeah. going to be up in a thing, uh, like in a little device, and he's going to be like infusing himself with Adam. And you go up there with one of the little sister needles, and you drain the atom from him and weaken him, and then you fight him for a bit. He goes back into it to try to recharge. You go drain more atom from him. You fight him for a bit. And you do this a certain number of times until uh, you defeat the boss. Um, yeah. I think it has to be said this is something that many people agree about this final boss is not great. <laughs> it's not
1: it's not but the I the way that it ends when the, after a while the little sisters show up and they're yes. like <laughs> I loved it. I really yes, did. I, I did thought too. it was so fun. It was, there's was a comedic aspect to it but also just a gratuitous like horrific kind of scene happening in front of you but I thought it was wonderful. It made me laugh out loud but at the same time like what a great entertaining way to end this game. I thought it was wonderful. And they're yeah. just like stabbing him with these huge freaking needles. Oh man, it was
0: jacked. And, and there's almost a sense of like righteous vengeance in it. Like the little sisters right. are the ones that finally get. Yes. Him. They do them. him in with, with the very method for which he programmed them to uh, harm yeah. and, and, and recycle others. You know, it's like he meets right. the same fate as what he programmed them to do to others, they do to him. Which yep. feels really good. It feels really good to see that happen at the end.
1: Yeah, that was great.
0: Yeah, he but, programmed like,
1: Jack to do something. We do it to him. He programmed the little sisters. They do it to him, right? Yes. Yeah. All great. the things
0: that he set up these in. other people's up. Yeah. He it, it's it's uh, he sows what he reaped, so to speak. Yeah. And so, so it feels that. really good in the end, in that sense. And despite how short. The ending is. I think Rob said it's like thirty seconds long. <laughs> it, it, it feels very rushed. Yeah. This whole boss yeah, fight and ending feels very rushed in yeah. terms of pacing. Like it just like really just feels like it just rushes into the end and it's over. And so like I think it's fair to criticize it for that. And I think the boss fight's way too easy. Um, I don't like that they sure. just turned yeah. Fontaine into this like Adonis like monster. <laughs> oh <laughs> that, yeah. That, you know it it just feels kind of I don't know, generic and cliche. It It, it it doesn't, it it, it doesn't feel like a super memorable design or, or something that feeds more into, uh, the theme of the game somehow. So I, I don't think it's great. I think that the end of the game definitely feels rushed, but there are certain Um, elements of this ending that really touched me. Actually. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. It was
1: satisfying. I thought it was very well done. I loved the last part with the little sisters with the, uh, you know, seeing that he was able to bring them up to the surface and give them a life that had been denied to them below. And Dr. Tenenbaum says that I, I think he found in the end what he was looking for, which was family, yes. which was meaning, right? Which is purpose, which is, you know, other people existing socially in a communal effort, not just an individualistic, you know, selfish sense, but like a, more of an altruistic kind of communal, um, you know, small scale, just a family, but still yes. living with other people and having you know, that type of meaning, um, imbuing your life. I think that was really good, really powerful. I thought it was great at the very end. Um, I, you, okay, you can talk about that. I just have a question about what happens if you don't save the little sisters.
0: Yeah. We'll talk about that for sure. Cause there's a whole okay, other good. ending, but yeah. also how, what Jack ended up choosing kind of was the opposite of the virtue of selfishness, right? That is yeah, sort of yeah, at true. the core of, of Ayn Rand's objectivism and, Uh, Andrew Ryan's philosophy, therefore, Um, and how uh, his, uh, now, I don't think this was as well implemented into the gameplay as it could have been. We talked about that already um, Mm, earlier when we talked about the first little sister that you choose to rescue or not. Um, But the fact that, well, what she says is, I'll just read her dialogue. They offered you the city and you refused it. And what did you do instead? What I have come to expect of you. You saved them. You gave them the one thing that was stolen from them, a chance. A chance to learn, to find love, to live. And what was your reward? Now, this would have been perfect if there had been no reward for saving the <laughs> Little Sisters.
1: Exactly. Right? Exactly. That was my yes. point. Yeah.
0: Yes. This This would have landed so much stronger for me, yeah. I think, had there been no gameplay reward for saving the Little Sisters. So you get no Adam at all. Right. And you can't upgrade your powers and you can't get, you know, all, all those extra things, uh, extra health or whatever. You're, you're just forever locked out of ever upgrading with Atom. Like this would have been a lot stronger to me had that been the case. But the fact that you mm-hmm. still get a lot of Atom for saving them, maybe not as much as you would have gotten, we still get a lot.
1: Somebody did the math. It's like 92% of, yeah. of the Atom when you factor in the plasmids and the extra kind of, you know, bonus stuff that you get. It's like
0: almost... It's
1: almost 100%, but not quite.
0: It's, it's not, like, that much of a penalty, really, yeah. in the end. And, and that, I yeah. think, hurts the game's theme overall. And that's my one big yeah. criticism of Bioshock, is that. Like, had they given you absolutely no reward whatsoever for saving Little Sisters, this would have really been beautiful to me in the end. It still is, but it would have been yeah. even more so, like, to another level. Yeah, um, but, yeah, But what I really loved about it was... How they show the little sisters like having rings put on their fingers and mm-hmm. getting married. And then they saw Jack kind of on his deathbed, and you see one of their hands with the ring on it, like touch his arm. Oh, yeah. As like, I loved that shot. I thought that shot was amazing. It just, it yeah. really touched me um, during that scene. And it kind of really brought this together in a beautiful way for me. So, you know, you gave them a chance, a chance to learn, go to school, get, I think it shows them, you know, graduating, diploma, whatnot.
1: Yeah, to find so,
0: yeah. love you know getting married yep. to live and what was your reward and the re- and that's when they show her hand touching him as he's on his deathbed so okay, th- reward was the being, reward
1: the reward being you don't die alone
0: yes yeah right and and, and
1: people especially when you're younger it, you just you don't it's hard to fathom what the future holds what things are going to be like like whether or not Like, I don't know the choices that you make when you're young affect the future. And a lot of people, when they're very old and are alone, wish that they had made different decisions when they were younger.
0: Yes, that's for sure. Absolutely. And then what was your reward? And you see that happen. She says, you never said, but that's how we make the connection. But I think I know a family, beautiful, beautifully written, really short, a bit rushed, but beautifully written and executed nonetheless. Um, So that brings us kind of to the end of the game as far as that ending goes. There are two other endings. Really, it's only one, but Tenenbaum reads the dialogue a little bit differently. So if you you harvest every single little sister in the game, she's like more forcefully angry at you when she reads it. Um, If you harvest more than one, so let's say you just did two, I think, you'll still get this other bad ending, but she just won't be as pissed (laughs) as, as she is otherwise. I think that's the way it works. Um, hmm. But in any case, what ends up happening is the little sisters are there at the end with Fontaine as they took him down. They take him down the same way. So they save your oh, really? life as oh, you okay. fight Fontaine. And then you harvest all of them right there, Oh, which my is gosh. even more freaking brutal.
1: Oh, right? I just can't play the game like that. I will Horrible, never. I dude. Do it.
0: I was just like mouth agape when I saw that. I was like, oh my gosh. They save your life and then you kill them anyways and harvest all their Adam. If and then if
1: you did that you are a dark person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean I was remember, I was watching the I was watching this just to prepare for yeah. this and I was like, "Oh, dude, I hate this ending. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, that is messed up. But then he basically uh takes all the technology, Jack takes all the technology, all the atom, all the powers and he takes that to the top world and uses it to get the nuclear secrets and it leaves it off on this really ominous foot like he now has Nuclear uh, power plus all of his atom power from Rapture, and yeah. he's gonna start using that to take over the world, kind of thing, right? Kind of leaves off on that note. So, um, I hate that ending, it's horrible. <laughs> I'm gonna pretend it doesn't exist, yes, and I please. love the other one because it's beautiful. So, because <laughs> it's
1: beautiful, and I love it, yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, that's it as far as my notes go. Is there anything else you'd like to say, or anything you um, read in the comments well, there, we want to read before we There was take a off?
1: brief thing, um, <clears throat> in Andrew Ryan's office, there's an R underneath the globe this was pointed out by a coworker of mine actually um there's an r underneath the globe you'll see these globes occasionally throughout the game uh but in his office it has an r under it which i guess would stand for ryan but it would be something along the lines of ryan seeing himself as that atlas figure that holds up the globe um uh-huh instead of the shrug and walk away and let things go as they will ryan kind of reinserts himself right back under the globe and he's holding it up and of course it's too much to bear and he is eventually crushed by the weight of holding up the entire society the idea behind something like ayn rand's philosophy is that you know it's an equal distribution it's one person isn't risen up and controlling everything but andrew ryan put himself there and that's uh, that's shown um in the, you know, the R underneath the globe there in his office. Right. That's Um, actually really good. It's pretty good. Um, And yeah, that's it. That's the only note that we didn't really read. Uh, This game is really, really good. And I wish I didn't um, bog the podcast down as much. I still wanted to bring it up, but as much with the uh, countering Ayn Rand, because I'm, I'm excited to play Bioshock 2 now. Or sorry, countering Ken Levine, I guess. Countering the game's thesis with the antithesis um, because it seems like uh, I'll end up having to do the same thing for the next game too now. yeah, right. um, But I look forward to eventually playing Bioshock two and then infinite of course. Yeah. Um, yeah Bioshock is something else. I, I wasn't expecting that type of gameplay to give me a story that was that good. I know. You know right? there, maybe something like half-life two or so. There's some games that have a similar type of gameplay that can do pretty well in the story. I uh, it's not very common though. And I was I was probably the most surprised by that playing this yeah. game but I absolutely yeah. absolutely loved it.
0: me too um, and and uh, it's it's not my type of game. I mean I, I, I commented on this back in episode one like listen guys I know that a lot of us here are <laughs> RPG players and and we're much more into that style of gameplay. We're not maybe yes. shooter fans. I I'm, I'm the first to admit I, I'm not good at shooters. I don't like them um, gameplay wise. I, I, this just not fun to me. I don't like the first-person perspective generally in games. Right, yeah. Um, And so this is, by all accounts, not my kind of game, yet it's one of my favorite games of all time. And it's mm. because the story really is that powerful. It really is filled with that much human content, human content that's really important, that everybody should important. be considering. Um, to it's the same level as, yeah, yeah. Su- super well-written, uh, to yeah. the same degree as something like Silent Hill 2 or any of these other games that we all recognize and love, and, uh, and admit our works of art on that level. Even though this was a mega million seller, hugely popular yeah. um, first person shooter game where you, you typically don't expect that. Um, it has, it really delivers on that end. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So um, that's it. That's gonna wrap it up for our uh, right. analysis of Bioshock. Thank you for joining us next week. We've actually already recorded this episode. Uh, our first we episode of Final Fantasy 6 the development history of Final wow. Fantasy 6 and it's look a forward one. to that. yeah, yeah uh, me too
1: I'm excited
0: I, I'm feeling really good about that podcast uh, yeah. based on how the first episode went so uh, look forward to that uh, thank you for joining me Kason. although it's a Sunday night and we oh, had to hey do it <laughs> separately good. but uh, you know we got it done and that's what's important so yeah. we'll see you guys next week peace out